Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Slideways Podcast. I'm Connor Mann, driver of the 21M semi-late model at Hidden Valley Speedway. And I'm Justin Owens, driver of the 38S semi-late at Hidden Valley Speedway. We've got a good episode, a little long for you today, with a somewhat local legend. Had his hands on most race cars throughout the Midwestern Pennsylvania area. Um, He's been racing since, involved in racing at least since I've been alive. Uh, Wealth of knowledge and funny as hell. So strap in and get ready. Because we're about to get sideways. Okay, well, all right, today's guest is Jim Bloom, our friend, our rap maker, a fellow race car driver, and a man who's been around the circuit for, I don't know, a couple years. A bit. I, I started started racing, um, started hanging out around race cars in 1995, after I got out of college, 96. Started. Did you grow up around racing at all, or just it just happened to fall into that crowd? Um. My dad only took me a couple times when I was a kid. Uh, he always, he was always under the mindset that race cars are a waste of money, and they are. But it's you, you pick something to waste your money on. You know what I mean? And uh, so I didn't, I didn't even start messing around with race cars until I got out of college. What, what would, you, what was your first car like? When you jumped into racing, what was the first thing you ran? Um, and it took years for me to get into a car. I actually wrenched. I wrenched on a car for Mike Bailey, um, and that was kind of short-lived. Mike, Mike was working away, so it was, it was tough. Then I started helping Rughead, George Sankey, and I spent a lot of years there. We spent a lot of years traveling, spent a lot of years winning races and ruffling feathers. <laughs> say you, look, you looked away there and kind of smirked. You, there's a story there. To, Everybody to likes old Ruggie. Um, George is George is my racing idol. He he taught me early on that you don't need you don't need the newest of the new to be fast. You just have to make do with what you got and and put all the pieces put all the right pieces together, make it work. And uh he was exceptional at it. I mean, our best season, I think he had at Hidden Valley, I think he had two DNFs and seven feature wins, and everything else was second. So, I mean, when when you run that, and he didn't win the points, I believe Mike Stein won the points that season. So Mike was just a touch better. But when you run like that, you, you ruffle feathers. Everyone everyone thinks you're cheating if you're fast. I know the thought process. It's I've seen, I've said similar things. Old Ruggie. He uh. He's something else. He told me a long time ago, he said, we went to the track and everybody was complaining about the dust. And he said, well, if you guys would run up front, there ain't no dust up here. Heard that story. <laughs> Heard that story a few times. Dust. Um, actually, he, he came to Hummingbird one night. I think Hidden Valley was off. I think he came to see you guys. Yeah. And we went out. We had a pretty good field of cars and we went out and won our heat race. And I always go back to my 
I go back in the pits and talk to the boys, and then I check my phone because my wife videos, and, and she tells me what she's thinking from the hill. She's, she's a pretty good spotter, actually. And there was a text message. And I read the text message in his voice. He says, well, you didn't disappoint. And I was just so excited that he was there because I didn't know if he had ever gotten a chance to watch me race. So, so I ran up and got to see him and Rita, and, and I think they had the kids with them too. Uh, so it was a pretty cool night. We ended up, we ended up winning the feature that night too. So for him to be there and watch us win a feature, that was, that's probably one of my best moments racing. So, uh, what, what classes have you run as Uh, a driver? Not many. Um, I started, I, Bill Walker put me in a car in a four cylinder rear wheel drive Mustang four cylinder one night. Um, he had another guy that drove it. And Bill was going to do a DJ job that night. And he's like, I need somebody to drive my car. And I was just dying to climb in a race car. And I said, I'll drive it. And I followed Dave Farrell from the back. I started 19th. Uh, I followed Dave the whole way through. Just, I just stayed on his bumper. I didn't know how to pass cars. I didn't know how to enter corners. And we went from, I believe he started 18th. And we went from 18th and 19th to 9th and 10th. So that was that was my first ever trip in a race car, and there was like I felt like there was a million race cars on the track at that time. They had a huge field of those cars. Um, but as far as classes, I've run I've run the four cylinders. I've run a front wheel drive four cylinder. Uh, I've driven pro stocks. That's the class I started in. That's still the class I'm I'm involved in. It it's evolved quite a bit. You know, I hear. I just read today, Penn, Ohio ruined that class. We, we begged for years for a universal set of rules. We get a universal set of rules and we're not happy. It's expensive, but everything in racing is expensive. Um, and prior to starting, we, you know, we had talked a little bit about everything's, everything's bought parts now, you know, I mean, not many guys have the ability to build something from the ground up anymore. And the guys that do, they get paid well to do it. Uh, I ran, ran a pure stock car, ran pure stocks twice and didn't fare very well. Um, I've been in, like I said, I've been in the pro stock class since 2007 and only had like in, in the midst there only had like a season and a half that we took a break. Um, We've always been kind of consistent, but never, never the fastest car. But we've got a few wins to our credit, and and some some pretty cool racing. Especially recently, we've the lower the car counts, you know, it's it's harder to get excited about good racing. But I mean, myself and Fuzzy Fields and a couple other guys, we've had some some pretty good battles on the racetrack. So that's what it's all about at the end of the day is having fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh now we've talked about the classes you have drove. Is there anything that you would want to drive? You know, mm, absolutely. Um, because I helped Rughead so much, I would love to have climbed behind the wheel of a small block modified. Um, I've been to Lernerville and watched the big block cars. Just it's always been something about those cars because they're so different. Um, that's that's my dream class. I I'd love to drive a late model too. Uh, but I just had a conversation with a guy the other day, and he said, when when these late model cars are right, he said, 
they're they're pretty easy to drive. You know, you're in one. Yeah, yeah. But when they're wrong, when yeah, when they're wrong, when they're you, wrong, you know, they're well, they're the biggest headache around. Yeah, yeah. And you spend half a season chasing. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I still don't know where you're you at. wind up with smashed parts and bent frame, broke and, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's the that's the hardest thing. Um, I have some buddies who are struggling right now, and when you're struggling. You want so bad to just race, and so you're trying to race, and and it just, man, it just turns into a mess sometimes, you know. It's not you and your car; it's you versus your car. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's perfect. Yeah, that's that's where I've been all season. Is just nothing's going the way I want it to. Yep. I feel like I'm giving it the inputs, and it's not listening. Yeah. And the and the harder you struggle with it, it's like well, the harder it fights back. Right. You know. So right. that's. Man, it's a tough place to be. And we treat them, you know, we're talking about like it fights back. We treat them, they're like, it's a part of us. And when, when it's off or wrong, it's not a part of us. Like you said, it's definitely you versus the car. Yeah. Yeah. When it's smooth, it's, it's a, it's a, I don't really know how to say it, but it's, it's, it's that. It's smooth. It's, yeah. It's, it's a song and dance and everything's in rhythm. Oh, when it fights you, it fights you because you get out of the car and you're like, I ain't never doing this again, yeah. and you're mad. And yeah. oh, I flipped this car up for sale three times this year. Yeah. Yeah. You, you push it back in the trailer and you get home and you unload it and you're working on it to do it again. Yeah, yeah you're at the racetrack, you're done. You've thrown your helmet and thrown your gear <laughs> in the truck. And I've kicked the side of my car before and this thing's a piece of shit and, and I, I can't stand this thing. And, and by... I was going to say by Monday, but usually by Sunday morning, you're like, all right, I got to figure this out. Yeah, you're standing you're, out there washing the mud yeah. off of it going, well, what if I put a tweak here yeah. or a tweak there? Yeah, you're yeah. No, really, it was my fault. I should have done this. Yeah, or you climb under that. it and you go, oh, and you find whatever the problem was, and then you're then you're 100 mile an hour to get it back together so you can get Excited back to the race, race again. Yep. Yep. Um, so I mentioned earlier, you wrap our cars, well, some of our cars. Yep. Um, I'm sure there you go everywhere. You see a lot of people. You you meet some great drivers. Oh my goodness! Um, I have I have met some of some of the best people in the world. To me, um, doing what I do because of what I do. Um, I have I have one one customer. He's, he's the only customer I have right now that has a uh, World of Outlaw late model feature win. So that was like, you know, I, I make the joke that look at that, our stuff makes them faster, you know. Um, but I travel all over the state. I've traveled into West Virginia. I've traveled into Ohio, into New York. Uh, my son Josh helps me a bunch now, and we've we've been learning through the years. And I mean, it's obvious, but but you don't think about it until like you're stressed. It's like we need to teach our clientele how to install more. So we have more time to, yeah, more time to uh, produce more. Um, I, I don't have an exact count, but I know like this season we're we're pretty well over a hundred cars, and it doesn't seem like much when they're printing, but when you're when you have four or five cars on the printer running and you're you're trying to design four or five cars and you've got this guy, that guy, and the other guy messaging you with all this stuff um there's so much input on on a wrap design from the client you know it's it's like four or five commercial jobs 
Oh, yeah. You know, the input from a commercial job is like, okay, this is what I need on my sign. Well, when you look around a race car, there's I'm, – I'm looking at your car, and I'm like, one, two, three, four, you know. So there's there's eight eight signs on one – or on two sides of the race car. So you're – plus you, plus you want a, the coolest design you can create, you know, for the money that the customer is able to spend. It's a blast. I I've drawn pictures since I was a kid, and my – my dad <clears throat> helped send me to art school, and when I got out of art school, I hadn't been placed yet. I was still, was still working at a fast food restaurant, and that's how I ended up going to the races. My buddy Jeff's like, hey, you want to – at the time, I was painting cars. I was hand painting. and He's like, hey, you want to you paint my stepdad's car? And I said, sure. So it, that fell through, but we did another one, and he's like, why don't you come to the races Saturday night? And to this day, and I've, I've already told Lou and, and Jerry this story, but to this day, I, re, I remember I worked at Long John Silver's and these two cars pulled in the parking lot and there was this beautiful teal stock car and this beautiful orange stock car, chrome wheels on both of them. And Jeff looked out the window and he goes, those are asphalt cars. There's too ni- they're too nice to be dirt cars. So we went to the races that night and both of them, we, w- we went to Hidden Valley. Both of those cars were at Hidden Valley and it was like, Oh, I want to make race cars look like that. And so I've been chasing that that dream ever since. Yeah, I know I know you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Cuz there's I have photo albums of when dad built his first car. Yep. And yep. you were there painting uh Casher's car. Yeah. Yeah, we did Casher's car. Um their cars have been some of the most fun painting. Um Bill Burgess, everyone called him the wizard was here and he was painting cars. Um, so when cashers called me to do their car, it was like, whoo, because he had done their car and, and their stuff was always gorgeous. So I didn't have as much talent with a quill brush that he did, but where I lacked that, I was able to use an airbrush and, and we did a bunch of like airbrush tricks and stuff on their car and it just blew people away. And I mean, it, it took one year, one good steady year, and and my name took off. And he and I were, we were, he, myself, Al Boffman were lettering almost every race car that rolled into Hidden Valley's. Uh, how do you feel about how it's changed? You're not lettering by hand. Everything's done on the computer. Um, there's days it really sucks. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I love, I love what I do. It's still art. I still get to use everything that I know creativity wise, but, but there's something, there's something different about paint and a brush. And I mean, when, when you're painting and you get the consistency of the paint, right. And you, you lay down your first line, you're just like, Oh yeah. And it's changed a ton. Um, and I have, I still have people that are like, "Would you paint a car for me? Would you paint a car for me?" And I say yes, and I want to, but it takes so much time. Um, I I would need to like set my printer up, and and have somebody there, or go back home and change materials probably three different days, because that's my wife was just kind of made a joke about it at dinner the other night. She's like, "It used to take forever to paint a race car, but at the end of the day." 
there's so, for me, there was so much satisfaction in like, I'm the one that changed the way that looked. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Um, and I'm not saying that it's any easier now because um, mm. I'm sure software gives you fits. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, there's just, there's just different stresses now. Yeah, I, I, we talked earlier this week. I said I was trying to make a, yeah, an iRacing car. Yeah. I, so I got a one month subscription to Adobe Illustrator. Yep. Went on school of racing graphics, got some graphics because this guy was charging me out the wazoo for what I wanted to do. Right. And I was like, I can do that for that. I was wrong. Huh. I, I even bought the cheat sheet template version <laughs> and I was wrong. I have, I have a friend of mine who I have uh, done. I'm not going to, I'm not going to call him out on here, but I have a friend of mine who has, has had me do stuff for years. Uh, I'll just say he was, he's a local legend when in the racing game and he has business. So we went back and forth a few times and, and we've been mad at each other, won't talk to each other, and it's usually over work. So recently he looked at his advertising budget and he's like, I'm buying a machine. And he called me and he's like, would you help me? And I said, yeah, I'll help you. He's like, I, I don't want to do anything commercially or for anyone else. I just want to be able to do my own stuff. He's like, the amount of money I'm spending, he said, I, I want to do my own stuff. I said, okay. So I... I've been out twice now, and he called me after my second trip, and he's like, hey, I just got to tell you, I'm sorry. He's like, I used to get so pissed off at you. He said, but man, oh man, there's a lot to this. And I'm like, it's all in what you learn. You know, I, I couldn't fathom doing the work he does because that's what he's good at. Um, he's extremely creative, but the the artwork and the the programs and stuff like that, they're just out of his wheelhouse. I think he, he can figure out how to install the stuff, but drawing it, he's like he's like, I'm ready to throw this shit out the window. <laughs> yeah. That was it for me. I said, Okay, here we go. Yep. A couple hundred bucks spent. Maybe maybe I get this, I like this, I'll just send it to Jim and have him print it for me next year. I installed my own this year. 15 minutes. I spent 15 minutes with Illustrator. And I said, yeah, nope. Well, Illustrator's tough. Illustrator's, the, the commands and stuff in Illustrator, once you figure them out, it's like night and day. But I haven't figured them out yet. I use a program called FlexiSign. And it's so basic that it's, it's so basic that I have it. It's just point click. And that's, I was... I was doing some work for my buddy there and that's what he was watching me design. And he's like, how do you do that? And I said, I've been doing it for 20 years. That's how I do it. You know, <laughs> you were waiting for that one. <laughs> um, this can be off the record, but it, it intrigues me. Where's the, more of your money made? Like, do you for design or wrap? Like where's your overhead? Is um, it the time for design? it's honestly I don't make a lot on race cars that's why I t attempt to do so much volume mm -hmm. um, you can you can do a commercial job I could do three commercial jobs 
in one week, three good commercial jobs in one week, and forget about eight race cars or more. But I I love race cars. I love designing them. I where I struggle with like the install stuff is I I want to install every one of them and I can't because I love to go to I love to go to garages and hang out and see cars and there's there's a buddy of mine from Pittsburgh that I don't do his stuff anymore but going into his garage was like it was like going into like a historia of racing and I mean just anything you could imagine with their race team for for 30 years. Stuff from their first car to their last car. The, the thing that sticks in my head is they had this circle-like table that they had all these hammers and picks and everything hung on. I mean, it was just just anything you could imagine. And that's my, that's my dream is to have something like that. But... uh costs a lot of money like I, I would love to have a big shop and and have a space like that in my shop but it, it just costs a lot of money now, i know when you come here to wrap our cars it's usually 35 minutes of wrapping followed by yeah two and a half hours of yeah. race talk i mean we don't yeah and that, that's part of what i love about it that's what i used to that's what, what i loved about george sankey you know i mean we'd work on that car three four nights a week and all day saturday and then race saturday but we spent we spent as much time BSing as we did working on cars. Now, is that the Sankeys that were up here? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I remember my dad, when I was little, my dad would bring me by yeah. to look at the car. I mean, I was... I spent a pile of time there as a child. Yeah. I was little. But, like, we were we were never a racing family. I think it was more or less my dad just knew them. So, so I, I think I touched on it earlier. Like, I race like George, and you'll understand this. Um, my wife gets mad. She, I'll, I'll be on the phone with somebody, and she... My kid's the same way. He's like, why do you tell them everything? And I, I can remember being at George's, and in the morning, we would on a Saturday morning, we would scale Mike Stein's car, Dean Rodkey's car, your dad's car's been there, Faye Lamadou's car. There'd be four or five cars ahead before we ever touched George's car, before George's car ever got on the scales. And, and it irritated me. I'm like, why do you do that? And he... You laugh because you're going to hear it in his voice. He'd say, because I want to beat them on their best day. And I'm like, and he said, I won't steer them wrong with anything. He said, I'll tell them anything I have. I'll bend or borrow anything that I have to get you to the racetrack. One, it helps car counts. Two, it it establishes camaraderie. And three, like, if you're going there and you're on that night, then I'm going to give you everything you can handle. If you're going to win, though, you're going to work for it. Absolutely. I have very similar conversations with Gary Little now. Oh, yeah. He, he, he goes yep. out of his way for Justin, for yep. me. Um, he was helping out. Who else was he helping out a couple of weeks ago? Josh, maybe. Yeah. Um, and he said, it can't be a good race if you're sitting in the pits. He's 100% right. So three weeks ago, four weeks ago, um, Car counts are down everywhere, but we had three cars at the track. So there was me, there was Jimmy Challensworth, and there was Fuzzy Fields. And I I can't tell you what I was thinking in the heat race, but I creamed a uke tire in the heat race chasing Fuzzy. And 
and crossed over and hit Jimmy. So when me and Jimmy came in the pits, I mean, they just checkered the race because Jimmy and I were out of the heat. So Jimmy and I came in the pits, both of us all tore to hell, and Fuzzy was the first guy. His crew was the first guy other than my kids at my car. What do we need to get you on the racetrack? And then we looked over because Jimmy parks across from me, and Jimmy was loading, and he's like, oh, screw that. We're having a race tonight. And so there was – there was one car and we were making jokes, you know, it's like, it's bullshit because he's got a complete car and Jimmy Challensworth and I were both racing with no front ends on the car. Um, but it was just, I wish people could see it's people that sit in the grandstands or, or keyboard cowboys that get on the internet and piss and moan about racers and, and this and that. I wish they could see that because that is still why I do what I do. That's why I race is because it's those kind of nights that just feed you on to the next time. There's two things I'm taking away from that is one, when I got into racing, I thought everything was top secret. Yeah. The guy beside you, if you got caught looking in his direction, was going to come over and and bitch and moan about it. Uh, There's not one late model at Hidden Valley that I don't go talk to on every night. night. Right. Uh, We all, how's the car? Hey, you looked a little tight. Try this. Yeah, you know, we're, we're all helping each other out. Yeah, I mean, I had I had guys come up to me when I first got into it. You know, Chris Clark, uh, Gary Little, yep. uh, Derek Rodkey, those guys, they all, yeah. you know, come over. Hey, can we, can we help you with anything? Yep. You know, everybody that races, and you'll agree with this as well, once it's mo- the many, the ma- maximum amount of cars on the track to race with. 100%. When you're out there racing by yourself, you're going, yep. okay. Hell, even our garage here, you know, there's two late models in here. Yeah. We race against each other. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so so you'll know exactly what I mean because you've won a feature. Um, leading sucks <laughs> because you're unless you're in a battle with someone for the lead, leading sucks. Yep. Because the most fun you have in a race car is when you are just – Door to door, door to door, battling somebody. I remember way back, like, like early on, um, I raced this guy, and it was a number four. I can't tell you his name though. We raced door to door all night long, and I think it was for like twelfth and thirteenth. And you couldn't have asked for two happier guys. You'd have thought we won the feature because it was just I'd get him, he'd get me. I'd get him in the bottom, he'd blow by me on the top, and. And that's that's where, like, I keep saying, you know, about it, like, carries you to the next week because cause we have these bad moments, too, you know. So the the good ones are the ones that you have to carry you because this can this sport can beat you down pretty quick, too. Yeah, yeah, it can. Uh, but like you said, some of your best nights racing yep. aren't nights that you want to heat race. They're not nights, you know, that you – right one features or anything i mean it could be just as simple as you know finishing a race or even if you don't finish it if you were having one heck of a battle yeah. with another guy and yeah. that's yeah. like uh luke hoffner mm-hmm. the man's won how many races in his entire career yes he brought his late model up the first night he showed up and raced to hidden valley he raced with us mm-hmm. and i went out and i raced with him and I think I got second and he got third. And I'm telling you what, 
I went down and I talked to him. I said, man, this was the most fun I had in a million years. I said, you could have blowed by me and just left me completely in the dust. Yeah. And it just felt good to be there right. racing with somebody of your with stature. somebody like that. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I good. remember when I first season and a half, I think I really just, and I'm back to it now, was just making laps, mm-hmm. finding the car, trusting the car, and, and really finding rhythm. And in the middle, or the end of last year, I said, I'm ready to pass some people. Mm -hmm. In the first race, I made my first pass. I could have drove off right there. (laughs) Yeah, I I won the feature in my mind. Uh, Those little milestones uh, and keeping the goal small are... Well, and, and for guys that have been at it a long time, or guys that are extremely fast, um, guys that spend lots and lots of money it's it's really easy to forget those do you know what i mean um i watch a guy today on facebook complaining about our class the the pro stock class and penn ohio's ruined it and it's this and it's that and it's the other and and i really feel like not many of us are racing within our means anyway do you know but I really felt like he always tried to race above his means. So he has to find someone to be mad at and and then spout it off all the time. And the absolute worst thing for racing right now and the absolute best thing for racing right now is social media. I mean, you can destroy a racetrack with the things you say on their page or, or out in the open. And guys don't care, you know, um, Earlier we talked about, you know, guys were mad because one track rained out because there was there was all this hubble-hub over this track scheduled and then this track scheduled and and it just just shut up and go race. You know guys aren't gonna be happy until something's destroyed. And then once something is destroyed, um, then they're gonna bitch that it's destroyed. I I'm not going to say his name, but I'll, I'll tell you that it's been years back, but there was a guy that was racing in a lower division class, and they were bad fast. But he was mad at the rules the track was deciding to go to, and he said, I'm going to fucking ruin this class. And he 110% ruined the class. And the next year he was complaining that the track should bring them back because they were one of the best shows and and it's like you're the reason it's not here you a hundred percent he was the reason it wasn't there because he went above and beyond to make the tracks life hell to make other right racers life's hell and to just dominate and stink up the show and then he was mad because they said okay enough's enough because everybody else decided to quit you know, racers are their own worst enemy. I was just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that. Oh, my goodness. And, and we, I hear it all the time. Car. Huh? You'd have a faster car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and somebody bitching that you're cheating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like you said, at the same time, social media is great for tracks that utilize sure. it. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, 100%. And racers that utilize yeah. it properly. Um. <clears throat> So locally for us, right now, locally Saturday night, we have Hidden Valley, Hummingbird, Marion Center. 
And if you were to ask me who's doing the best job, um, it has to be Marion Center. The way they post and the way they promote, um, I, I do some work for Hummingbird to try to, to, try to help with their, their stuff, but I know they're shorthanded. I, I know Dan does it at Hidden Valley. Dan does everything he can, and I think Terry helps as well with the social media stuff. You know, but I don't know. I in my head, I don't know how it how it looks, but I, I think you need to do more. You know, and and being able to do more is sometimes just being equipped with people to do more, and people aren't out there to help like they used to be, or even taking the time to sit down. I know on Facebook you can schedule out posts. Mm-hmm. Um, sit down on a Sunday after a race. Yep write out three to four posts, have them scheduled. Right. Then during the week when something pops into your head, you make a post. Yep. Um, that's what I try to do with our social medias. Right. I don't, but a lot of these guys, these track promoters aren't exactly the youngest guys. They're not the most tech right. savvy. Um, they come from a time where you had your loyal fan base and they showed up. They didn't mm-hmm. come because it was on Facebook. They came because this is where they... This, this is home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that paradigm shift could happen. I think if there's a young person out there that wants to step up and do it, there would be tracks that would be willing to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I dabble a lot. I don't know much about TikTok or, or, you know, Instagram and stuff like that. But, but like since Facebook came out, I've kind of become a Facebook junkie, you know, even if I'm not posting stuff, I'm scrolling and I've used it. I've used it to make several points, you know, um, track promoters weren't necessarily pleased with me, but I got my point across, you know? Um, and, and I've tried to, I was, I was one of the guys that would jump on and bitch, you know, but like standing back and giving myself some perspective, it's like, how you need to shut your mouth, you know, because all it does is breed more. So the only time I will, I will post something that might breed something like that is if it it really really needs to be said well and even when you do i've seen some of your posts you do it with attacked you don't say the track shirt surface was shit right you say this track surface had some character tonight yeah yeah um you say it in a way that it's not there to hurt anybody but it's right. there to describe the troubles you went through because you and every other driver went through it exactly it didn't just affect you and you exactly. you, you make that known yep um we got off topic a little bit of some of my questions okay. as i said we did we but did bounce around no that's fine that's what we're doing this for i like it um we're gonna come back to the ipad here what's it like working side by side with your boys and watching them develop and grow uh with josh in the print room mm-hmm. and on the track with the other boys um josh in the print room can be entertaining because because he's, I tell everyone he's a lot like his mother, and she she gives me shit for that. But but he is, he's a lot like his mom, so he's very strong willed. Um, sometimes he doesn't he doesn't want to listen to constructive criticism, but I wouldn't have it any other way because like all three of them, all three of their personalities are so different. Um, Josh is Josh is the fun one to work with in what we're doing with the graphics because, because he wants it. Um, 
as far as all three boys in the track on the track, the first year we had their car out, uh, uh, the first three races, I didn't have my engine back yet. So I was able to just concentrate on them. And I mean, if, if anybody doesn't know, like they just rotate Caleb one week, Josh one week, Noah one week in whatever order they've, they've chose. I let them pick the order. And usually it has to do with who's put the most effort, who's put the most work in. And the reason we went that route is it keeps them a little bit humble as well. You know what I mean? Because you have to be able to humble yourself and go, yeah, this one has more work in it than I do. It, it, it should be his turn first. Um, but first three weeks, uh, Sunday morning, I would get up and I felt like somebody just beat the crap out of me because I first three weeks they were in the car, I just laughed. Uh, Josh's first ever heat race, he started on the pole and led all but all but turned four to the flag stand before he, he fell off the pace. And then once he fell off the pace, then he really fell off the pace and like the wheels just came off for him. But um, it's awesome to watch all three of them. I like <clears throat> me as a dad, I mean, my wife picks on me because I'm a crier. Uh, but, but me as a dad, if there's anything that like sparks that, that pride in me, it's my boys. And I just watch them and it's like, I just want them to love it as much as I've loved it through these years. They, they seem like they do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's work, and it's – how do I say it? It's work, and it's it's tough, and they all have their own lives, you know, and now Josh has graduated now, so now they're all done with school. So now they have their own lives, jobs. So now they've now they're learning – how it becomes a balancing act as well. You know, that car needs this and this and this and this done tonight. All three of them are at the house tonight with, with their buddies working on their car because Hummingbird's off this weekend and Josh wants to take the, the pure stock to Hidden Valley. So they've gotten to the point now where they can do almost everything on their own. So I can say, yep, I'm not going to be there, and, and they still just go at it, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know what it. I got to give them kudos because me and Milton shared a car. Uh huh. Not a lot of people know knew that, but when I ran my first season at Hummingbird, mm-hmm. that wasn't me. Every that week. was me and Milton. Yeah, it's and then tough. Even my dad drove the car a couple times. Well, and and what they're struggling with right now is, um, I think. I think there was two or three other pure stock racers that started the same time they did. So they're watching those other ones kind of advance faster than they are. And it's because those other ones have three times as much seat time as what they do, you know? And you guys know, you've you've both been in cars. uh, You have to trust it. And I think I've given them a pretty good car a couple of times. The first car I had Fuzzy Fields take it out and just do some laps in it. And he came in, he's like, any night you want me to drive this thing, I'll drive this thing. He's like, he's like, you can just put it wherever you want. So I know, I know that we've done some pretty good stuff with the cars. It's just how much faith they have in, in their ability and how much faith they have in the car. And, and I watch it, and that's the only struggle is like, you know, you know it has the ability to be a lot faster. They just have to catch up to the car. I, I'm dealing with that. Yeah, so you are. Uh, and yep. it, I, I get it. 
Do you do they have different driving styles? Um, yes, vastly different driving styles. Yes. Um, so Caleb is very calculated. Um, sometimes slow. Uh, I can be a yeller <laughs> and 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 lose my cool. So I had to I had to sit down with him a couple weeks ago here, and I said, "Listen, I said, don't race this race car like you're afraid to get yelled at." So that's Caleb. Because I mean, Caleb and I have had some some screaming and yelling fits. I, there's no other way to say it. Um, I've I've told them all, so I'm not afraid to say this. Uh, I think natural ability and lack of fear behind a wheel is Noah. Uh, he'll drive a car wide open in the corner, and I'm like, no, no, don't don't drive that into the corner, and he'll just send it. And Racing at Hummingbird, as much as we race at Hummingbird, it has two very distinct corners. In one corner, you can drive into the corner pretty wide open, and the other, you cannot. So I'll watch him get down into one, and I'm like, lift, 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 and he'll just sail it in there. And then he's, got, he's spending time gathering the car up while everybody else is kind of driving away. And that was really in his head this year. He's, he had talked about quitting and not doing it next year. And I said, why? And he said, I'm just, just in my head. He said, uh, you, you keep mentioning one. And I said, I said, I can only speak it so much until you just learn to do it. And then once you learn to enter the corner, you'll be like, that's what dad meant. Just like Hidden Valley. Yep. Three and four. Yes. My arch nemesis at Hidden Valley. Really? I was, when I first started running there, I... I was scared to death of three and four. <laughs> Still, sometimes I feel like I just slow down and roll it. Because I'd, I'd come in there, you sail down the back stretch, you come into yep. three, and you come out of four, and you're going, oh, there's a cement wall there. Yeah, because it'll just climb straight to oh, the yeah. front. Craig and Brady and I had a fantastic race there for a heat race. Yeah, I've seen the video. Yep. I was there. <laughs> and I, was, I led most of it, and I just bobbled. And I mean, he was all over me, and I bobbled, and... And that's where he got me was like coming out of three and four. And I when when he got by, I was I was like shit, <laughs> shit, because because I wanted to heat race. I mean, you you want every win you get, even though leading sucks. But that race was fun because we raced side by side to the checkered flag. That was fun. But before I get off, Josh, Josh is very Josh is kind of like Caleb. He's very calculated. Um, I think out of the three, like he probably. He probably is the most competitive behind the steering wheel. Out of out of the three, Caleb's the most competitive when it came to football. Like he was just he played way bigger than his size. But uh in the race car, Josh is the most competitive. So he sometimes he's hard to talk to because he's pissed. The car didn't do this, the car didn't do that. And and because he because he acts like his mother and he has a lot <laughs> of his mother's mannerisms he'll roll his eyes or something and i'm like oh dude you're gonna you're gonna make me mad quit acting like boy mom. <laughs> yeah i don't think i've ever given any of them the boy but i know i've given a yell where all of them are like oh dad's gonna dad's gonna kill somebody or kill us <laughs> yeah um who did they approach you about racing was it a mutual thing um it was it was kind of something that was building um because like Josh, Josh and Tim Stice became pretty good friends, and 
and Josh was saying something about driving a car, and he's like, I'll let you in the car. You can drive the car. So Tim let Josh drive the car in a heat race. And, I mean, if anybody follows racing, Tim's one of the fastest pure stocks around right now. And, and he was at that time when he let Josh in the car, and he rode Josh's ass because he didn't go very fast. But but that was like the hook. Like, I mean, the hook was definitely set in Josh sooner. But so we started having these conversations about like, hey, we could we could put a car together. And then Tim's like, you guys looking for a car? And I said, yeah. And he's like, there's one up here we can get for this much. So, man, the people that helped them put a car together, and this is back to what we were saying about Sankey, um, Jim Challensworth and Tim just threw parts at us, engine pieces, this and that. Here, race this, do this, try this. And, I mean, Jimmy built us an engine. We had Tim's, still have Tim's uh, bell housing, had Tim's clutch in it, had one of Tim's transmissions, destroyed one of Tim's transmissions. I mean, so the amount of people that helped just to see them get into a race car was fantastic. But it has been, for me, I hope I don't ruin it for them. Because, like, asshole dad comes every, out every now and then, you know? And, and I don't, the last thing I want to do is ruin it for them. I want, I want them, like I said, more than anything, I want them to love it like I love it. Because, because of the way we raced with Sankey, I think, I think that's why I love racing as much as I do. Yeah, that and... It's it's a large part of you know yeah. every racer's life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, yeah, hundred percent. And you, I mean, you revolve part of your business around yeah. race cars and doing what you love. And if if I would cut the race cars completely out of my business right now, I'd have to go to work. And until I was able to reestablish myself as a commercial rap guy, um, that's how much my business rap revolves around racing. So, yeah, it's it's a big part of it's a big part of my life in general we might have got this question throughout the stories here okay but i wasn't taking notes to write it down (laughs) um what is your most memorable racing moment driver as a dad as a fan my my most memorable moment was my first feature win um so i'd said earlier you know my dad um like he supports us but it was just never his thing, and and he always just thought it's an awful lot of money. You know, you're not making an awful lot of money, and you're going to spend more money. So, this is my third season racing. Uh, a couple weeks prior, we had taken the car to Knox and changed some things around. I just wanted to try some things, and and it was pretty good. Uh, so, talking about those battles. Myself, Gary Little, and Jamie Price in the heat race battled. I mean, it was, in my head, it was one for the ages. Um, When we were done and we parked our cars, it was so good. Like, all of us were going to meet the other one. We ended up meeting, like, right in the middle of the pits. That was freaking awesome, you know? We were just, like, that pumped. So they, they pulled an invert, and Gary won the heat race. I finished second. No, I might have finished third. Because it was it was that close, um, but they pulled an invert and I started on the pole, and I let it flag to flag. Leading sucks. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it, because you're out there and you're just waiting, especially especially struggling and you know and all these fast guys that you know are fast guys and and you're just waiting you're just waiting for that guy to motor by. Well, it was the first trip my ever my dad ever made to the races to to come watch us. So so he was there for my first feature win. It was it was pretty awesome. And he's been he won't say he's hooked because he can't come every weekend, but but he's always how'd you guys make out? You know, we always get that call Sunday morning. I always hear from Georgie. Yeah? Georgie That's awesome. Wants to know how we're doing. Uh I won my first feature race here like three yep. what, three weeks ago. I got out of the car and the very first person I called was George. That's awesome. He didn't answer. Yeah. But we may have partied a little hard. And uh <laughs> it was a little difficult driving the trailer home. <laughs> I uh I woke up to a voicemail from George going, uh Well, I just want to tell you congrats. Uh I would say that you uh partaken a little hard and proud of you just just call me. Man, Thanks, I can hear George. It. It's it's so awesome to like be able to talk to somebody else who relates because so you're you're pretty young and you wouldn't have known Rug, but like are you? But I but I didn't you, start racing you until yeah. I was twenty seven. Yeah. So yeah. so when I say Rughead, like anyone that was around knows Rughead. And so, like, when we tell these stories, they're like, yep. Um, so I'll, I'll give some props here. Um, so I was learning, like, to paint cars and do this and do this. And, and George had had somebody else do his stuff. He had had uh, Al Boffman do his stuff for years. And when I started wrenching on a car, he let me paint it. And for it felt like years. It felt like Betsy McCann hated us. Because, like, she wanted – you're laughing because you know. She wanted his she wanted his number brighter, and, and she wanted white around it and this and that. And God bless her, like – Especially black and purple. Black and purple, yeah. Wicked Wanda. Yep. Um, That's the one I've seen. Wanda. Yes, I'm sure. So she and George just completely butted heads all the time over this car. And, I mean – there were fights over over painting this, and I, we were we were so petty as a race team. Like I put a white white outline around the number, and it wasn't as thick as that quarter inch white line around your race numbers. And she was like, she just threw her hands up. Like enough was enough. So I don't know how many years it's been, but George saw her somewhere, and he said, "I have to tell you." He said, "What you did was an absolute labor of love." He said, because we sure gave you a hard time. So it's it's kind of neat, you know, to see those kind of relationships kind of come back around. I feel like you guys have George stories. Well, guess who? I'm starting to have some Jim Bloom stories. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my first race I've ever went to was in Hummingbird in 20... 11? Not 20, sure. 2010 or 2011? Depends what this story is. Then I'll tell <laughs> we you talked about the story at your house. Okay. I remember you, I believe you flipped your car. When I got life flight, it actually didn't flip it. But I, I did flip a car over at Hummingbird. And I think this, I remember you were very fired up. You weren't hurt. Um, 
that it might be a little bit older, but that was uh, Joe caught and I were butting heads pretty hard, and and I had a pretty good I had a pretty good run going. Fuzzy and I raced for the lead for quite a while, and I kind of got up off the bottom, and Jamie Price got by, and Fuzzy lost it. And when Fuzzy lost it, everybody else sets them sideways. <clears throat> and Joe had a an IROC Z Camaro nose, which I mean, it was it was right down on the ground. So my car was sideways, and I was running along left rear spring. So the car was already jacked up on the left side, and he drove right in under the frame rail, and and I went right over. And this is, this was on the front stretch, right? Um, no, it have been been the exit of turn. One and two. Okay, so maybe this isn't the event I'm thinking of. It was either yeah. it was either you or Fuzzy, 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend at the time, I don't, weird situation. But all I remember was I was on her side. You were fired up, and I'm at the fence. My first race ever. Right. Screaming, fuck animal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, honestly, to get me fired up, to get me to the point where I'm mad, it takes a lot. And Joe and I had, Joe and I had butted heads all season. And, uh, I came, I I came back in the pits and Dan Cummings had helped us at the time. And, and some kid said something to him when he was, we were strapping the car down that night. And I thought, I thought Dan was going to tear the kid's head off. And, it's just like I get mad. Like my temper, my temper goes boom through the roof, and then it comes back down, and then I feel guilty for being mad. Yeah, and it's like so. So I try to like chill out. <laughs> I go there and stay there. You stay up. Are you still 100%. there? Yeah. I'm. Are you still there? I'm a little salty. As you say, are you, are you, what do I race and stuff? Yep. Do I gotta? Nope. Am I gonna? Uh, what do I gotta watch out for? Nothing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm probably going to be behind you, and I'm probably oh, going to be staring at my hood pins. Absolutely, so I need to know. absolutely well, not. While I damage nobody else's equipment. I, I, I'll, the night of the rollover, they haul me off the track, and Fuzzy caused the caution. Like by this time, so Fuzzy Fields and I met each other through me doing decals, and we become extremely good friends. And Fuzzy caused the caution that night, so by rights he should have went to the tail, and Jamie or Joe should have inherited the lead. So they're hauling me off, and I'm riding the side of the car, and and I'm looking at Joe, and I'm flipping Joe off as as they're hauling me by, and Fuzzy's setting because they red flag, so Fuzzy's setting ahead of everyone on the backstretch, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, like I'm I'm banging my hands together, like smash him, smash him, and Fuzzy gives me double thumbs up, so I'm like, his shit's junk. You know, I was, I knew it was going to happen. And one of the track workers saw me and, and he's pointing a finger at Fuzzy like, no, no, no. And when they lined them back up, they let Fuzzy have the lead. He ended up winning a feature that night. And I believe they probably lined them up because if they didn't, there was going to be carnage. <laughs> Not from someone with the name, the instigator. Yeah, he's, he, he's my best friend. He, he's by far one of my best friends in the entire world. And when he straps into a race car, he's a different individual. Uh, that, that's the best way I can put it. And 
and he doesn't make any friends. I mean, he and I have had some of the best races you could ever want to watch, and I think it's because we're such good friends. But he that's probably because he's given me that extra little bit of room that he would he would not give to anyone else. Yeah. Um that and the most infamous banner on the Facebook world. Yeah, and that was that was at it was AMP at the time. Yep. It's still Hidden Valley, but um I had set out for for personal reasons, I had set out for a year and a half and I came back and Fuzzy's car owner would set up on the hill and he would watch down with binoculars. So we had been talking through this week and I'd made Fuzzy a banner on the back of his car. Down on the bottom, it he was mad because people were gawking at their stuff because they had brand new Chris Snyder SS chassis. And so I made him a banner basically it said stay out. Down on the bottom of the banner though it said except for Jim Bloom. <laughs> so I told him, I said, I said, I'm coming to the track this week. I said, everybody's bitching about you guys. I said, I got a banner for my car. So I made this, it was just plain white banner. It said cheaters and had an arrow pointing to Fuzzy's car. And man, oh man, I wish I could get paid for that image. That thing has been around it the internet. It has been around the internet. What's well, funny because the first, time, time. The first yeah. time I saw it, I'm like, that looks like Fuzzy's car. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> sure shit, it was yeah. Fuzzy's car. I was at the racetrack. I remember because Milton's like, look at that a banner down there. Well, Betsy, we're talking about Betsy McCann and she goes, she came by and she started laughing and she said, I just love you. She said, you make racing fun. And I, at the end of the day, we don't make enough money to be dickheads racing Saturday night. You know what I mean? You can be mad and and express your displeasure or whatever at somebody, but have some fun too. So that's what the banner was all about. And it, it lives to this day. <laughs> it, it all goes back to the camaraderie though. Right. You, you can race the doors right off of somebody. Yep. And they'll come over and be the, the first guy standing there to get your picture taken with Absolutely. you after the feature. Yeah. You I know? had my first hot-headed moment. It's been since we recorded last four or five weeks ago. And I got mad. And I drove through someone. Oh, boy. You were hot then. I was mad. Um, and at the end of the day, when I watched... I said I was mad at him. Yeah. When I watched the GoPro footage back and I watched the footage from the hill, I was mad at myself. I was as inconsistent as they could come. Yeah. And I blamed the car in front of me. Yeah. Um, but so I was mad. And after about 25 minutes, I went over and started wrenching on his car because I broke his parts. Yeah. Wow. And, um, and just to say about the camaraderie, and every weekend since, yeah. we have been in each other's pits helping each other out. I made a real good friend. From a real boneheaded mistake. That's that's one of the worst things that happens on the racetrack, and we're all guilty of it. It's like, <clears throat> you know, something will happen, and immediately you're like, that stupid son of a bitch, you know, and you'll do, go and do something. You let emotions and everything take over, and then you go back. Uh, a buddy of mine was mad a couple weeks ago. He's like, he's like, two weeks in a row, that stupid son of a bitch has been into me. And the first week... Yeah, he was he was definitely into him. The next week, like, I don't know what happened. They were coming down the backstretch, but they weren't close. And the one car just hooked right, boom, drove it right in the fence. And he was convinced the other guy wrecked him. I mean, I got a big, long message about, like, this is why guys don't come to race there and blah, 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 and he needs to get his shit together. And, and, and I'm like, 
why don't you talk to him? So, long story short, somebody was videoing from like where everyone stands in the pits in, in Hummingbird, and they had a perfect shot of it. And I mean, there was ne they never touched nothing but, nothing but a, and and they never touched that lap. <laughs> but it just boom, it hooked right and, and went right into the fence. And I was like, holy shit! But I tell you, my my ignorance in that situation, I definitely looked bad. And oh it's, yeah, it's not something like that. I wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to label myself as right. But I couldn't have learned without doing it. Right. The lessons oh. I've learned after yep. doing that yeah. outweighed what I did yep. so much. Well, and I mean, some sponsors we get aren't much. You know what I mean? But but then there's some sponsors like um I've got I've got two that are I couldn't race without them. And and it's like I don't I don't want their name to look bad. And if if I'm acting like an asshole on the racetrack, then their name looks bad. What's well, my two biggest names on my car are a charity organization. Absolutely, yeah. And my own podcast. Yes. So it, it looked bad. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've heard from the stands people were upset. <clears throat> oh, yeah. And, and to them, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, and I, I've said it on Facebook. I've talked to the driver and everything, yep. obviously, immediately afterwards. Um, I, there, I was wrong. Optics is, is a lot. You know what I mean? Like, like I said... A lot of people think this guy hates this guy and blah, 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 because of the way things happen and transpire on the racetrack because they've never been in the pits. So those optics always look that way. But you get in the pits and those two guys are the best of friends or whatever. You know what I mean? So, But, yeah, like I, I worry about optics. Um, my wife and Joshua are like, who cares? And I'm like, I, do, I care. <laughs> on, a, on a post that we were talking about earlier about tracks and schedules, mm -hmm. <laughs> Josh – Posted something. He's like, wow, wait a copy and paste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I originally I was like, initially I go, Josh. Yeah. Well, that that was my response, and I'm like, and I texted him, and I'm like, dude, you know, but how do I want to say it? I'm not going to take that away from him either. You know what I mean? That's part of his personality, and I'm not going to squash that out of his personality because some of your some of your competitiveness comes from that that part of your personality. So I would never squash that in him. But like I commented um, later about it, you know, and and said that, and I mean, let's just say what it was. It was about it was about Hidden Valley and, and Hummingbird and a scheduling conflict, and back to optics. I mean, they were the exact same classes in the exact same amounts. So so optics looked bad, and the way the way it popped up, if it. it in my mind, because because Hummingbird has been so good to me, and I love that place, it looked bad on Hidden Valley's part. Oh, and Hidden Valley's home to me. Absolutely. And, and Justin. Yes. And I think we both had the same. I mean, he was fishing, and I was doing a, a charity event with yep. the car. But I wasn't going to that race. Well, and that that's neither here nor there at the end of the day. Um, what it does is it it makes tracks look bad. And unfortunately, it puts a sour taste yes. in guys' mouths. Yes. Or, and, you know, and, and you have, then you have the flip side of it. You have, you have loyal supporters of, of Hidden Valley who said, fuck Hummingbird. Or, good, I'm glad it, it ended up raining out anyway. That, that, 
That benefits no one. That benefits no one. And it makes, to me, it makes them look bad. It makes the, if they're racers, it makes, makes their race team look bad. But it also, it also puts a cloud back on Hidden Valley again, because then you go, well, here's, here's the crowd that supports you. You know what I mean? And that's the last thing you want. So I, I was, I was thinking about this all day. Um, and maybe it's in your questions and maybe I'm getting ahead, but <clears throat> we talked a little earlier, um, about like, like Joel up at Ray, close racing supply and I are pretty good friends and I just wrapped a car up there. So we talked about the state of racing and Joel's busier than he ever has been partially because everything is a bolt on piece now. Um, but he had a good point. He said, he said, if I'm this busy, he said, there's cars out there. He said, so what do tracks need to do to gain car counts? And in the situation we are in, in this area, and when I say this area, I, I mean, I mean, Hidden Valley, Hummingbird and Marion Center. Yeah. Um, Hidden Valley and Hummingbird pretty much draw from the exact same place. Marion Center draws some from like the Lernerville area, Pittsburgh area, stuff like that. So you could leave them out or you can pull them into the equation either way. But tracks are going to have to work together at some point. And if they don't, racing around here is going to be in trouble. It's going to be survival of the fittest for the tracks. Right, right. So so I, I said to someone else, I said, and I don't want to hurt feelings by saying this, but it's almost ego. It's like, who's got the biggest ego or who's going to be humble enough to say, hey, we should try working together. Um, the problem is, is there's there's so many underlying issues. Do you know what I mean? I know, I know one track, they don't want to, they don't want to work together. I know um, they never even wanted to have like an outside series come in. And that's just how they've always ran. You know, and then then on the other side, you have you have people in management who have had issues at, at other racetracks that people are still like, I don't trust him. And it doesn't matter what he does. I mean, he could pave the pits with gold, and people are still going to say, I don't trust him because they're not going to give him that opportunity to to earn that trust back. The problem is those people – that don't want to trust him are uh, air quotes race fans. Right. Um, right. But all they're doing is a disservice to local racers. And oh, local absolutely. Racing. So, so you guys will understand this because so I started, I started my racing life and career at hidden Valley speedway. And I have, I have a huge spot for it in my heart. So like last year we won a feature there. It's the first feature I've ever won. And, I was I was excited because we want a feature at Hidden Valley. But somewhere along the line, um, when Hidden Valley was closed down, Hummingbird has become my home. Um, I'm closer to Hidden Valley, but I just I just love Hummingbird. But you have these loyalists for both racetracks that uh, they'll stand there with middle finger in the air. Fuck that place. You know what I mean? They're all doing a disservice to racing, not to not just to the racetracks, but they're doing a disservice to racing because if this one closes up, then everything moves here. Is it still fuck that place or is that where you have to go now if you want to see racing? Um, some people were so, and, and 
I have friends of mine that are so hard-headed and crazy like that. They're still, they won't go to Hidden Valley. They're still mad at Hummingbird. So they'll drive the whole way to Marion Center and say about how great it is. And maybe it is, but but you're still doing a disservice to local racing by, by running your mouth to every Tom, Dick, and Harry that you see about this place sucks, that guy's an asshole, whatever. And it's like, this is why there's so many problems in racing. And I think, for the most part, what I see is a lot of the mouth running isn't even from racers. No. It's from people who don't understand yeah. Yeah. any of it. You have, a, you have a few racers who run their gums, and at the end of the day, unless they're shoving money at the track, who wants them there anyway? Do you know what I mean? Right. Because if those guys, if they're... If they're like that all the time, no matter what track they go to, all that means is the problem follows them all the time. Or they're the problem. That's exactly it. Yeah, um, yeah and it's a lot of the times I see the names that are drivers mm-hmm. in, in the most respectful way I say this, I have no idea who the hell they are. Right, right. Um, so why should anybody else? Why should anybody care? But they've obviously... When, when those guys speak up, if they get loud enough, people still hear it. Right. Well, yeah, you get the, how do you say that, the, the loud minorities. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of casual fans. Do you know what I mean? So if, if they're friends with a casual fan who doesn't go every week and they're like, fuck that place, fuck those people, they suck, but they screwed me. And it's like, oh, that, those people over there are dirty, they're shitty, they're, you know, and... So they don't, they don't ever, we don't support, we don't ever give them an opportunity. When I see that a lot, uh, even from my own family, because I'm the racer. Right. Um, no one else is really doing a lot down here at the garage yep. or anything. And they'll say things like, oh, this promoter did this for this reason. Oh, this driver is cheating. Yeah. Um, and I, I echoed that for a little bit because I didn't understand when I first mm-hmm. got into it. I jumped into it feet first. Oh, yeah. Um, and now I understand. I go, no, no you, you don't get it. I'd rather be there and kind of be the asshole on the opposite of the fence correcting people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not necessarily saying I'm standing up for the promoter or standing up for the actions that happened. Right. But there is a thought process. Oh, absolutely. People aren't just doing this stuff for to be an asshole. Right. Right. When you, like the situation with Hummingbird and Hidden Valley and the, the scheduling the same stuff, like – if I'm if I'm in Hidden Valley shoes looking at it, and the uh, all of a sudden you go, oh, the other racetrack wasn't doing this or wasn't doing that, and if he wasn't aware of of Hummingbird doing it, so you immediately go, this could be a huge draw for these two classes. So you schedule in, you know, and then and then every Tom, Dick, and Harry, including myself, jumps on him and goes. Hummingbird scheduled that or changed that schedule two, three weeks ago, you know, and I, I'm as, I'm to blame as anyone else, you know, in certain scenarios. And it's like some sometimes you just need to shut your mouth. And usually when you re- realize that you needed to shut your mouth, it was already after you opened it. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like I said, I wasn't planning on going to that race anyway, mainly because I had yeah. commitments, looked yeah. at the schedule and committed to something else. Um, I had talked to Dan about that two or three days ago. Yeah. That was about a week ago now. Yeah. Um, yes, Sunday, I talked to him. And he, he said, 
I didn't know. They announced it on Monday. We announced ours on Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, and theirs had been announced prior. That's why I said, like, I, my comment on his post was said, I said that it was a couple weeks ahead because I, I actually went back and took a screenshot of the page because it was two weeks two weeks prior to his announcement. And he, he said, you know, I don't, you know, he, he was giving me the spiel. I don't want to hurt another track, this, that, and the right. other. Um, I'm not here to play any side on it, uh, but what he did do by saying, hey. I'm not going to do this? Yeah, we, we, uh, we got the complaints. Yep. We hear you. We're not going to do yep, it. Yeah, that was, that was pretty stand-up. You know what I mean? The, the people that chimed in after the fact and were like, fuck them, run it, blah, 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 blah. That's that's the ones I'm, that bother me because right. it's like you you do a disservice to racing. That's that's the hurting. Yes, right. And as, as a racer, I mean, you want to go where there's a money race. Sure. Um, and there's a good chance that could have pulled some cars. Oh my god! I like um, humming. Well, everybody has struggled with car counts this year, so like I was excited for Hummingbird because I thought this is going to be a huge night. And I just kept watching the rain, and, and when Hummingbird's cancellation came, it was like. Son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm too bad it rained. Yeah. Because that, that would have been, yeah. Yeah, that'd that, been a show. That being it, a, would, it would have been a show. I mean, it would have been a long night. There would have been hurt feelings. Uh, Hummingbird has been pretty soft. Um, so, like, back to it, track has had some character in the heat races. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but their greater operator, Harry, is, is he's phenomenal he's one of the best around and uh the last week we ran the heat races they had their a modified race and the heats were um it created two lanes and in like a kind of a curb down through the center and he knocked it off after the heat and man could you race in the feature it was it was fun he does it all the time you know and it's so like when people are bitching it's like obviously you haven't been here before because he'll take care of it. But you got to know what to do before you yeah. do it. Right. 100%. I t- when our track guy, I can't remember his name to save a life of me, but uh, he does, he works for Lernerville, too. Is it Dan as well? I don't know. I think it's Dan. It's an episode one of the podcast, but our, our track guy, um, when he's there that weekend, yeah. we get an incredible surface. Like the, the first race weekend, I, the weekend I wrecked, Everything was driver error. I couldn't blame a thing on thing on the track. Well, I can say, and I mean, I, I'm first one to say, bravo, good job. Last year when we were there and we won that feature, I had soft tires on in the heat race. And the kids are like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, don't touch it. They're like, what about the tires? And I said, don't touch it. And we left soft tires on in a feature, and and we were good, really good. And I mean – I didn't have enough gear in and the car would still just like launch out of the corner. And it's like, so yeah, I mean, they, they had an incredible track surface that night. It was smooth and racy all around. My only complaint, I think I said it in our first episode we did together um, about our track is that it's a wide track, but the racing grooves aren't wide yeah. enough. Yeah. The racing groove. I mean, the primary racing groove at hidden Valley is right down against the Uke tires. And I knew that, uh, one of the races we were there last year, Fuzzy and I were talking, and Todd English came over and Turtle, and he said, "Fuzzy, what do you think?" And he's like, "Don't try to pass Animal on the bottom." And he's like, "You think?" And he said, "I'm telling you." He said he owns the bottom, he knows it, and 
we went down in three and four and and i turned the car and todd stuck the nose in there to try to try to pass me on the bottom and wrapped it right around the uke tire and it was like he came over afterwards and he said well you told me not to try to pass him on the bottom i was warned <laughs> i just think that at such a short track yeah it would be cool to see some board bang and get oh. a cushion made up and when i when i first started going there um ron stanko rick strong uh Ari Weaver, Dutch Davies, like these these are some guys that some of them are still racing, some of them aren't. Um, but Stanko and Rick Strong would would drag the quarter panel down the backstretch. Yeah. I mean, there was Hidden Valley when Wazir's first built Hidden Valley, it was it was a really badass little racetrack. It still is, but I mean there were so many cars back then that like there were big names that came to that place to race. And it was it was a lot of fun. I'm, I can remember sitting on the hill, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning, we're still racing because there was that many cars there. Not because it's a dust storm. No, absolutely not. No, it was... Subtle jab. <laughs> every, every dirt racetrack is going to have dusty nights. Yeah, you can't tell Mother Nature, but yeah. I know that'll get people fired up just hearing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Problem is, they'll get them fired up, do not much, because then I'll be like, yeah, stupid bastards, it was dusty. And you went to a dirt track. <laughs> I raced the race that night. Yeah. It may have been dusty. It was bad fast. It was bad but, fast. And it was smooth. Yes. It was yes. pool top, I mean, smooth. That's smooth. awesome. A good, race, good racing track. Like, yeah. yeah, it might not be the best viewing experience, but it's a really weird drought season in it's, the spring. It's crazy. Like the disconnect, you know what I mean? Fans don't understand what drivers see. Drivers will, drivers will race and just beat the balls out of stuff, and, and because it's dusty, that's the only thing they see. Meanwhile, there's an awesome race going on because the racetrack is, is three lanes wide, and somebody's using every one of them. Yep, and they're all together. There's yep. a blanket over them. Yep. Um, that's part of the goal of this is to give people a driver's perspective. Right. Yeah, let them know. Um, yeah. Bringing back to my first race – all I knew was my girlfriend was yelling, fuck animal. <laughs> <laughs> so I yelled that because I didn't know anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's bring. Wow, I had haters way back then. I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so off topic, on topic, whatever. Where where does animal come from? It's dumb. <laughs> I where? swear, it's, it's the, it is the dumbest thing ever. So, uh. I was a kid, and I had a go kart, and they—I was too big for it. So my dad, my dad worked for Kerbsville Heating and Plumbing, and talk about things all tying together. John Stein worked at Kerbsville Heating and Plumbing. John is brother to Mike Stein, who Mike's got a car racing at Hidden Valley right now. You know, Mike used to race against Sankey. So they they stretched this go kart out, built a cage around it. Um, Put like half-assed body on it out of out of sheet metal tin, and I brought it home and painted it all up. And my best friend at the time, growing up, George, we were like, we got, we got to paint something on it, and, and it was black and orange. And I painted Animal Patrol because this this is dumb, but we had a had an old tractor motor with a with a generator on it, so we could run light. So it had like yellow whirly bird lights on it and headlights and and had a radio in it and a cb in it well 
I was gaining on my 16th birthday. So my dad gave me this this old car out back. So we took the CB out of out of the go-kart and put it in this car. So we're getting everything hooked up. And I mean, we thought we were electrical whizzes doing all this. And uh, this guy starts chirping on the CB and he's like, what's your handle? I'm like, I'm looking around for like something. And first thing I saw was animal patrol. So we just cut patrol off and used animal. And that was it. I told you it's dumb. And there's a, there's a business it, based around it. There's a racing career there is. based around it's a, it. It's a story, man. I mean, yeah. that's, so it's, it's, it's part of you. It stayed with me forever. That was a CB handle I used. We would, when I turned 16, we would cruise town and, and one of the, one of the things we used to do in town when we were cruising is we would we'd play CB tag. So, like, this would be home and everybody would scatter, you know, and somebody was it just like you're playing tag. And and that was my CB handle. on, And it stuck. So then fast forward to painting race cars, and I got, got to be pretty good friends with uh, Charge and Charlie Records and Chucky Records. And, and somebody would say, who's this animal guy? And Chucky, Chucky's always big thing was always like he's like, wait till you see him. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, that's that's not me. That's not my persona. And he's like, he's like, I don't give a shit. So and and like that followed suit. Like there were people that were like, why do they call him animal? And Chucky would feed him some sort of stupid bullshit. And I'm like, dude, I'm like the easiest going you guy you know. And he's like, yeah, but you look like animal whatever so. yeah i mean I've, I've always known you as animal yeah i i think there's more people that know me by animal than know me by my real name start from the beginning of that sentence okay so so we're talking about rughead again so i'm sure both of us have tons of stories so the one night we said something about a pass in a car or whatever and he goes don't you know that's why the rub rails in these cars are shaped like this he said, if the front end will fit in, the back end will come through. <laughs> and seeing it a few times, like, he he never did anything to, like, junk somebody. But he he definitely was not afraid to use rub rails to come from the back to the front. And he'd done it more than one time. Oh, he raced. He, he raced. He raced. He, yes. So my first ever experience with him was, I didn't know who he was. I was helping Mike Bailey. And... uh he comes rolling in and you see Mike because way back in the day in the big clear field, George used to drive for Ben Bailey and um, Mike gets all, like all the Bailey boys eyes just lit up and I'm like, what? And they're like, that's Rughead. That's George Sankey. You got to watch this. So he was first night he was ever at Hidden Valley that I saw him. He was just stomping them guys and it broke the coupler something and he just come rolling to a stop but i mean it was it was going to be an ugly beat down and he didn't make any friends after the fact because because he was fast i mean his his rival for years and you know this was schultzy schultzy and and bobby roos like oh my gosh we, we were always battling with them and i mean it, it bred fights and arguments and screaming matches and everything else so Schultz had Roos on these big sprint car humpers. I'm sure you've seen them. 
And I'm like, we need a set of them. And I mean, because like they were fast. They had beat us that week or something. And George wasn't going to vary from what he knew. But I was a pain in his ass. So finally, he goes, listen. He said, if you mount them, he said, there's a set of them up there. You get them down. And I'm talking like 100 plus inch right rear. I mean, it's massive. It's, but it's probably, I don't know, a sprint, tar, sprint car tire is probably, what, 14, 15 inches wide? So, so we mount them. Yeah, and we come rolling past Schultz's crew, and I'm we're like riding the trailer in. We pass Schultz's crew, and you can hear the grumbling. You know, oh look, you finally figured out, blah 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 blah. So he goes out in the heat race, and he just waxes them. I'm like, I knew it. He's like, get them off. He's like, put the other one, put the McMods back on, change the gears. I'm like, seriously, we're gonna. See how bad you beat them? He's like, just put everything back. I said, all right. So we put it all back. Then he waxes them into feature. And I thought. And I am 100% sure he had the typical George, well, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good times, though. Like, that's some of the best times I've, I've had, like, not owning a car, just racing with him. Um, that's, that's the kind of stuff, like, having my boys race and I hope they can experience some of that. I think this is an awesome idea if it, if it catches on for you. Hey, if it doesn't for me, not growing up around racing or yeah, knowing you, you I am learning of, so much yeah. about local racing and stuff and people that I should have grown up with and knowing that if anything, it's helping me out. Uh, so yeah. you're talking about not growing up around it. So like I went to college in Pittsburgh, you know, and I worked in a Long John Silver's in Pittsburgh. Well, I had no clue. So for me now, like I dive into this, I dive back into this now. I had no clue when I was there. The shopping center that I worked in was Heidelberg Shopping Center. Well, there used to be a racetrack right there. It was Heidelberg Speedway. Um, Pittsburgh was actually built after Heidelberg and like, they got a bunch of their bleachers and stuff, and that's how Pittsburgh Motor Speedway got its start. But, man, oh, man, like the history around Heidelberg, there were NASCAR racers and stuff like that. There was a track within a track. Uh, it was just – it was enormous. And some of the pictures that are out there, we've never seen crowds like they had back then. Oh, yeah. Well, I look at old pictures of the the board track in Altoona. Yep. yep. I, I think of even um, – Back when CNB or UMI was dirt, mm -hmm. uh, the amount of stuff that we've missed in the history of racing around here is... So, I remember that place. My dad, my dad took me once that I remember to the big, big track. And I can remember, like, just barely the cars coming out of three and four. And it was dusty and dark. And I... I remember the next thing I remember that night was we were going back to the truck. I had fallen asleep in the grandstands and there was dust everywhere all over the truck, you know? So, so you fast forward today when people were bitching and complaining about dust, it happened back then too, right. but everybody's still living in the glory of what all that used to be. I remember my first racing experience. I don't know what track it was. I've been trying to figure it out. My parents don't remember where they took me. But I remember there was a car that slid off three and four, and it almost like went down 
over into some gra- a grassy field off three and four. So mm. there was no wall on that. It was dirt. Sitting in the grandstands, left to right, left being three and four, more towards four. The car went up over the cushion and down, almost like it would at Lernerville on the backstretch. I don't grass. Almost bet Marion. I was going to say it screams Marion. But I, yeah. I do not know. And I, that's the only race I've ever been to. I was like four. Yeah. But that wreck is the only thing that radiates with me. So we were talking about like the loyalist today, you know, um, back when I started, I, I never went to Marion center cause I was, I was 110% a hidden Valley loyalist. You know what I mean? And when, when a couple cars from here or there, Marion center showed up, it's like, who the fuck are these guys? Kind of, you know what I mean? Then I went and raced on Marion center and it's like, damn, <laughs> like you can really, really wheel that place. If you got, if you got a car that you trust, just drive it in there because it'll take it. What keeps, yeah. What keeps me from trying other tracks is the fact that my crew, we pit two, three cars mm-hmm. at Hidden Valley. Yep. So either we all have to go. Yep. Or none of us go. Yep. Um, so I either need to pick oh. up some friends hidden at, at, at a different track. Racing has changed so much. Um, so like back in the George Sankey days, we're talking about. We had myself, George Bailey, Mike Bailey, Bruce Bailey when he would come home, uh, Big Larry, Tom Mattia, Tommy Robertson, and then Billy. You know Billy, don't you? Did you ever get to meet Billy? Young kid, he he worked for George a lot. Like he's... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. he He's still around. Um, so like that, there was Clarence all of us. Guys, yeah, yeah, forget about Clarence and, and the Krauses. You know, there was... So many people, like, I guess I'm still living in the glory of it, too, because I, I think I probably got involved when when local racing was, like, at its peak. And, man, oh, man, we have a lot of fun. We traveled everywhere. We went to we went to Knox. We were in Hagerstown. We were clear up. They went clear to New York. I didn't get to go with them. They lost a trailer tire on the way back from New York, you know. I mean, that one season, lost a trailer tire. I wonder if that was the same night. My old man got sicker in hell that night. They had Dickie Delal with him. You know, so there, there's a man, like, um, people that know him know some of the stuff that happened at the racetrack, you know? Again, you come back to that <clears throat> Yeah, one one moment of weakness is, yeah. your, is your downfall. He uh, He's unbelievably smart. His brother Jerry's the same way. Like... Unbelievably smart. So smart, uh, when I was helping Mike Bailey, we were trying to set this car up, and he sat there with a notebook, just scribblings, scribblings. Here, do this, do this, do this. And before I could get half of his notes done, he was scribbling more. That His mind was just 200 mile an hour all the time, and it's like, Dick, you got to slow down, because I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I want to backpedal here real quick. You said about, in the glory days, you had six, seven, eight, nine, ten people coming with you. Oh, yeah. Just one car. Yeah. Um, people don't really understand that that, I don't want to call it a posse, but your crew, your friends that came with you to the track, yeah. that's what made racing great. Oh, absolutely. And that's what paid drivers. Yeah. Nowadays, I'm rolling in with me. Yeah. Because I can't afford to pay for yep. four or five people. Um, and people don't want to help. Those people who help are such an exponential asset 
to us as drivers mm-hmm. um, and to the whole racing community. Yep. They make yep. They, people don't know, but what we get paid is usually out of pit admissions, right? Um, and so when you can bring a crew, oh my goodness, uh, when when you're willing uh, to come help one of us and spend that thirty five dollars, yep. Um, not only are you helping a driver and you're getting an experience, you're helping the sport, you're yep. helping everybody in the class. Um, and then we really need that is oh, people it, who want to help and, for the love of the sport. So I had a conversation with a friend of mine, customer of mine the other day, and he said, and he, he pointed out something that is like, it spoke volumes to me. He's like, he's like, Jimmy, it, it's not just racing. He said, back back up a little bit like i've always been a car guy you know what i mean i loved hot rods and i I didn't understand motors i or engines if i say motors john conklin will kill me so i didn't understand engines but uh and i still don't very well um but car culture like hot rod guys and big fat tires and stuff like that stuff that was really cool to me is different today you know Front wheel drive cars and all wheel drive cars have have taking o- as are taking over the car culture, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just evolving. So racing in general <clears throat> is has to find a way to evolve with the car culture. And I mean, front wheel drive class and whether guys like it or not, the SCDRA stuff, like those guys race for money, man. You know, yeah. lots of money. Um, my class has a, had a 10,000 to win show. Now it's two thirty five hundred to win shows this year. And I like, that was unheard of. And these four cylinder guys, like I've seen the SCDRI Southern schedule and they race for some really huge purses. Astronomical yeah. purses. Well, the thing, there's a lot yeah. of races. Like, the thing that these four cylinders are doing is they're bringing not only more cars to tracks. Mm-hmm. Well, they're bringing and, 13 guys with them. Yeah, they're too. bringing 5, 10, 15 so, people with them. So the, the car culture is still there. You know, back in the day when we had that many guys working on a small block modified or a super stock or a late model, the car culture's changed. So the guys that are running the front wheel drive cars now and – and I'm, I, I'm guilty back in the day. Like it's like bumblebees, blah 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 blah. And you always had a comment for them. But I, my opinion on that has evolved because they're race cars. I drove one my buddy Brian had built, and I don't think my rear wheel drive car turns as good as that car turned. You know, so like they're still disrespected by the older culture, but the newer culture understands that they're definitely. They're they're definitely definitely an asset to our sport. Well, they pay most of our purses. Oh, absolutely. I just I just yeah. did the math on my phone real quick, and on our average night, yep, we don't even cover our own first place. Right, right. That's why like that's why Dan dropped my class. You know, he ran my pro stock class last year, and he dropped it this year because we weren't we weren't even covering our own purse. That's that's a no brainer. Thing. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if other classes got dropped. Yeah. But the problem is, and Dan and I had this conversation earlier this year. People want to come see variety, variety, but the old heads want to see the late models, yep. and the modifieds, and the sprint cars. Yep. Um, the families of the people who are racing, the majority of the racers, want yep. to see their four cylinders and their street stocks. Yep. Um, so you have to run six classes. Well, that's I sit with my wife. Every chance I can go on the hill with my wife, I go. 
And it's it's frustrating because, like I said on the hill over Hummingbird, and as soon as the late models are finished, it's like a mad evacuation from the racetrack, you know? And, man, that, that kind of hurts my feelings because it's like, you know, there's still all these guys down there that put a ton of work into their car, you know? They were super excited to get a new wrap on it and this and that, and these people just... They're busting their they're ass done. in the garage yeah. Monday through Friday, yep. the same, if not more than I, we are, because these cars are bare bones with three oh, to five parts yeah. on them. Yeah. So people don't understand, underneath this, there is nothing. Right. I, my car is behind us, by right. the way. There's there's so much so much more involved in like four cylinders right now, and I, I watch these guys, and I'm I'm telling you, they if you pay attention to them and don't leave, they put on a show. And it's getting better. Yes. Well, not to mention, you know, like Hidden Valley, we've been running, what, 25 or so four-cylinders? Yeah. You put that many cars on that track, that is a show. Yeah. Even if you're the person that shows up for the chaos. Yeah. Right. You get it. Right. You get it. Um, I said way earlier on in the podcast, I had driven a a rear-wheel drive four-cylinder. Back in the day, that was... That was what the four-cylinder class is today. That night that I raced, first time I ever drove a car, I think there was 29 of us on the track. That, like, talking about car culture. <laughs> what was that? Find a way to keep it. I got that. all excited, whacked the mic and everything. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, the four-cylinders are – I like those. They were on those a lot in the South still. Yeah, yep. They're not so from down there too. They they always put on a badass show. Always. I'd love to see it up here. I think one because it's rear wheel drive. I feel like mm-hmm. I don't know shit because I jumped into a late model. But I feel like that experience yeah. will transfer better. Uh, so I drove George's car at Hummingbird. I had practiced Chucky Records' street stock at Dog Hollow, and then came to Hummingbird the next week. And I said to George, "Let me take that thing out for hot laps." And he's like, "All right, go ahead." And I just flat-footed it. Man, oh, man, they're so fun. Because that, that car would come into the corner, and it would just set down and eat. And you're just like, you're in a gas, and it's just doing what it's supposed to do. And you, it's like a Sunday drive. Just like a slightly lesser motor pure stock. Right? Yeah. Actually, they match raced them a couple different times, and the four-cylinder would beat the pure stock. Are they lighter? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, they would just get around the track so well. But, I mean, they... Like anything, racers are their own worst enemy. I knew guys, you know, that were building five thousand dollar, eight thousand dollar four cylinder motors and putting seven, eight hundred dollar clutches in them. Some guys ran a Ram coupler, so oh, this, it was like a was, direct drive. This was a while ago too, so oh, the yeah. money is going much further. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like thousand dollar semi late motor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, I bought my whole car for less than half of that. Well, your class that was that was the intention. In the beginning, yeah, it was supposed to be what ten year old, yeah, ten year old or. When I I'd ask questions about this when I interviewed Dan, yep, about what are promoters saying about our class? Mm-hmm. Are we going to let it be the step up from pure stock, or is it going to be the cheap super lates? The problem is, it's already evolved it's, past it. It's already gone. Yeah, yeah. You'll never never get them to go back. So so when I started. When I started racing, there was a super stock class, 
that that you could run like a four link rear suspension, three link. That's what Mike Bailey raced. And then there was a pure stock class. And the pure stock class was on eight inch DOT tires, 358 two barrel. So then racers get in their head. Well, we can put 10 inch wheels on these cars and buy used tires from the late model guys. And we'll put on a better show and it'll be cheaper because we can get used late model tires. Then it went. Then it went to oh well, let's buy their used four barrels. Right. Yep. And let's then yeah. we'll, oh, might as well yep. put new tires. Yep. On them. And oh my, you know, four hundreds were were still pretty plentiful. So it's like, why can't we build a four hundred six? And then then it evolved. You know, now now all of a sudden it's now it's not pure stock class anymore. Now it's a, a street stock class. And my first year that I raced. I had a stock frame chassis, stock rear spring buckets, <clears throat> stock mount shocks. The next year they allowed outboard shocks. You could deck and tunnel them like a late model, um, weight jacks in all four corners. And in all these other tracks were doing their own version of that. And what happened is it just keeps evolving. And then, then someone stepped up and said, we want to create a uniform rules package called Penn Ohio. So they did that. Well, you've got these guys that couldn't afford it or couldn't compete or thought they were better than they were, you know, and, and they're bitching. We need a 358 class. You have it. You have it. It's a pure stock class. They're just on eight inch tires. And that class is already more than what it was when I started in 2007. So, like, they're evolving again. So my understanding of the Penn, Ohio class and kind of its downfall, is it downfall? Is it bad? No, it's I don't really there. understand it because I obviously don't have a dog in the race. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the people who are complaining is they put too much money up for races and tracks kind of can't keep up with that. So I, I probably have an unpopular opinion on this, but Penn, Ohio spoiled us. Um, when, when they would put up a race, let's say it was even a 1500 race, it paid back really well. You know, even if you started a race, you were getting 150 or 200 bucks to start. So it's like starting a super late model race. Um, they allowed, the rules are just loose enough that you can run a stock car. Cause like the, the chassis I run is still pretty competitive. And it's still pretty basic. Um, or you can build a clip car. But back to the money, guys got spoiled by the money and started saying, well, I spent X amount of dollars to build this car, to build this engine. I'm not going to race for any less than this. Right. So, yeah. So, so what happened was the guys were just traveling. So, like, I think it was last year, Sean tried to do a traveling series – and a and a local points deal. Very similar to Rush. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, it worked good. This year, this year, like guys, guys being their own worst enemy, we knew what the rules package was. You know, um, Sean was looking at what he could do to adjust the rules to make it more competitive. While the travelers all wanted quick changes. I don't care either way. 
Um, I have a nine inch. I'm going to run a nine inch until I have to put a quick change in. Well, Sean didn't allow them. And guys made such a big deal that I haven't talked to Sean too much about it personally, but guys made such a big deal about it. I think he just got a little tired of their bullshit. You know, racers are their own worst enemy. Have you ever been to a rules meeting? <laughs> I I went I went a couple times with Mike back in the day, and like they get pissed because they want something and they don't get it, or the other guys get pissed because they didn't want it, but somebody else wanted it, so they allowed it, and they'll turn into knockdown drag out fist fights. I mean, the, there's still a ton of guys. Sean said it's almost Sean Hooks said it's almost like fifty fifty. Guys want. Guys want quick changes. Guys don't want quick changes. And, I mean, I've talked to some of the top-tier teams that don't care either way. But then you get the argument, well, they don't care because they can afford to build another nine-inch center section. Racing's always been about money. It's always, always, always been about money. And guys that have it are going to spend it. If you don't have it and you want to be competitive – You'd better get up on your game. That's that was the conversation Joel from Close Racing Supply and I had. He's like, he's like, you're 100 right. I said, I, I in my heart still think I can run with some of the fastest guys out there, but I'm not there yet. So I need to put in some more work. How bad do you got it? Yeah. How how bad do you want to be up front? Yep. So let's circle back to what we said is. A- I guess maybe a blessing, possibly a curse in the guys, is that SCDRA mm-hmm. four-cylinder class. Yeah. Are they doing anything different to prevent that fallout? That I don't you know. know. I mean, I know you're not racing. Yeah, I, I don't I don't um, know. I mean, I've heard, I've heard the complaints. I've heard the exact same complaints about SCDRA that I have about Penn, Ohio, that they ruined the class. Right. You know? Well, <clears throat> if that's still the car you want to race, then you know what the rules are like them or not. You know what I mean? So if you want to be a street stock guy, pro stock guy, this is the rules you're going to fall under. You can either piss and moan and carry on. They don't pay enough. They don't this. They don't that. Or you can suck it up and build a car and go out and race. Because at the end of the day, you better have fun. You know? <clears throat> um, I have a... I have a couple guys that like swim around in my head all the time because they're the constant bitchers. I was one of them, you know, for a while. And then, and like, I, the more I talked to Sean Hooks, the more, the more it was like, man, you know, we put you guys through some bullshit, you know? So like, and, and racetrack people, like the amount of shit that racers give sanctioning bodies and racetracks and this and that, I would never build a racetrack. Because we're dicks, you know. Um, there was a there was a issue. I talked about it a little bit about making points. There was an issue with the what they were going to do with the rules for my kids' class, and I just wanted to be heard, and I I didn't feel like I was being heard, so I made a big post on Facebook about it, and I tagged every tech man, every racer, every track official, personnel, whatever that I knew, and. I saw Peach a few weeks later, and he's like, I'm pissed at you. (laughs) He's like, my phone did not stop. And I said, I just wanted you to hear my side. And so many racers aren't like that. 
they don't want just to hear their side. They want it their way or fuck you. I know one guy that insisted on a quick change. And when, when they didn't give them the quick change, he put it in anyway, put different wheels and tires on his car. And now, now he's traveling to race somewhere that allows a quick change. And it's like, more power to you. You know, I, like I keep going back to, <clears throat> these are the rules at hand. If that's a class you want to be in, shut your freaking mouth and go race. And the, the crazy part about this is it, nobody's even trying to bend the rules. It seems like they're trying to make some crazy changes. Oh, yeah. They, they, want, they want what they want. Um, I hate changing gears. Like, if you've never changed a Ford 9-inch center section, it sucks. But, so that's why guys want quick changes. Okay, but there's there's other things like within that. It's like, okay, are we going to continue with the quick change? Are we going to continue to be the same rear suspension? Or are you going to, if you add the quick change, then are you going to say, well, can we can we tweak the rear suspension a little bit? And it's like, no matter how much you give them, give us, they it's never enough. They always want more. But then just my thing is like, just jump up a class. Yeah, I, I get I get really fed up. Like, I hope you put this in because I get really fed up with the oh, Penn Ohio's or or late models. No, they're not. Um, climb underneath one. You know, um, they have to have a triangulated rear suspension, which basically puts the rear end in somewhat of a bind, and that's how the rear end stays square in the car. Now, guys are guys are working on things, so they they free the rear end up a lot. I mean. The first time Fuzzy Fields got a brand new car from Chris Snyder, everyone thought they were running three-link rear suspension because the cars would climb up on the bar like a late model. And it had nothing to do with that. It was all springs and shocks that caused them to do that. But but everybody, because they got a slab body on them and a late model knows, they're late models, they're late models. You sound like a fucking idiot. <laughs> I had a kid, the first time I post my car on line I yeah said about buying a light model can message me he's like you know you bought a pro stock right yeah no said, buddy come here and fucking show me yeah. where this is a pro stock yeah oh my let me tell you what too and this is way way off but i knocked the nose off of mine knocked the whole front end off of mine a couple weeks ago well, and asked, you know, yeah uh i wouldn't have a problem with going away from the late model nose because they matter. Because when you take all the sheet metal and the nose piece and the bumper off the front of those cars, it's like throwing a brick in the wind. Pushing air. Oh, my God. It was it was the most miserable son of a bitch I've ever driven in my life. <laughs> and I won. I, there was only two of us left. I won the feature. And we looked like two idiots out there. Because I would slow mine way down and pick the throttle back up. And it would drive straight to the fence. And Jimmy would just blast his in the corner. And then he'd spend all that time gathering it back up. And he's like, this thing was a pile of shit. And I'm like, ditto, buddy. It drove ditto. like a stone boat. It, it was horrible to drive. I kept looking at Earl the flagman going, please just throw the checkered flag. Please <laughs> just throw the checkered flag. Yeah, I, get, I get worked up about my class because... It's struggling for car counts right now. And part of the reason it's struggling for car counts right now is because a bunch of the guys that have cars and aren't racing 
are being spoiled little bitches. Um, there's a bunch of guys sitting because of financially, because it has it has become expensive. You know, the thing is, if you're getting three cars, right, you're guaranteed a fourth place. If right. you bring your old car out. The problem is, if you're getting three cars, how long does that last before the track says, no, we're done? Right. Yeah, because they're paying, you know. Yeah. There's, they still, they didn't cut the pay. They cut the they cut the laps we ran, but they didn't cut the pay. And it's like, props to Hummingbird for not cutting the pay. You know, Dan, Dan ran us last year, and he ran us way longer than he said he was going to run us because he said, if you guys don't get X amount of cars by this date, I'm done. Well, he didn't get X amount of cars, so we cut the purse back a little bit, and he said, we'll continue to run you. And and he did, and he ran us. So, I mean, ton of props to him there. Um, but, like, between between the two tracks that are left racing them, a good night's 10 cars. And it's like, I don't know how it looks, but it would be awesome if the two, the two tracks could work together. Every other week. That's what I'd like to see. I think, like, yeah. if we want to bring in these cra- a crazy number of classes, yeah, just have four and four. Yeah. Hummingbird run. Yep. Supers, pures, 600s. Yep. Four-cylinder. You can always run two four-cylinder races. Oh, my. <laughs> four-cylinder, yeah. You don't want all of them at one track. Well, and, and four. And I mean that for a car count wise. Like, there's no such thing as too many. Yeah, the four cylinder. The problem with the four cylinders is like, um, I watched it a couple weeks ago. Two guys just just hammering on each other, and I mean, this is for the lead, and it's like, race with some respect. You know, I I know this guy slammed you, so in in return, I need to slam him back. But but that's bullshit. You know, at the end of the day, are you an adult or not? Because there's a 13-year-old kid running that four-cylinder class right now that was 10 times a driver. Those two idiots were that were banging on each other. I'm watching right now. The Rush Series has Pinkerton. He's yeah, 12 or 13. Yeah. And he's kicking ass. Yeah. Um, and that should be a testament to all of us who aren't kicking ass. He, he has excellent help. Well, yeah, he's a, a Rich King. Wait, Rich King, is that it? Russ. Russ. Russ, yeah. Russ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, he has excellent help. Um, so <clears throat> he's not going to steer him in a bad way. The only thing that poor kid may get racing with Russ King is an education. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Russ is a character. I, I, I mean, we know one of his drivers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, Russ is, Russ is every bit as much of a character or more than that driver you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it's awesome to see one the series allowing him to race. Yeah, two. Yeah. The, well, there's there, I know there's I know this because of like the accident I had at Hummingbird that there's only like three or four insurance companies that that actually carry racing. Um, so depending on where he goes, he may or may not be allowed to race. I know already this year there was a track. A track or two that they tried to show up for, and he wasn't allowed to race there because of his age. That sucks because he's every bit of a racer. Everybody oh, else yeah. on that track. Yeah, he's he's definitely for for I call him a wheel man, but he's a young wheel man. Wheel kid. Yeah. Yeah, and like everything they're doing is so professional. Like their their social media, the whole deal, and it's like oh, it's a, yeah. They're, they're grooming this kid to be a professional race car driver. 
Yeah, and he's and he's doing well with keeping. Oh yeah, yep. I watched him at Lernerville um, last week for the firecracker. Yeah. What was the the memorial race for the Rush series? I guess when you think about it, you could probably say the Rush series is kind of like the new limited late model series. Yeah. Um, in a way. There's, there's, I know of, what, there's actually what, two, two major crate series. Crate race. Well, I guess, I guess there's more than two, but like, yeah. And I just, you, you get, you get the old heads who are like, build an engine cheaper. You know what I mean? Then, then you can that crate motor. So they, they steer away from that, but, um, economically like if you can afford to buy one of those and that's the way you want to go that's an awesome it's an awesome series to race well, that's what i have yeah now my car is out is illegal now just from rule changes that i haven't kept up with yeah um but that 604 motor and it's every bit of six years old right hasn't been freshened right and it's still so with, i'll give him i'll give him a plug if you need to get that thing fresh and john conklin is fantastic with crate motors <sighs> Well, if I wanted to drop that kind of money, I'd Getting just build it. <laughs> well, I don't know what it would cost as for a freshen. You know what I mean? I know. I know um, where race one where it's from, it's like oh yeah. Like a forty five hundred dollar freshen. The motor new is like five. Yeah, bear. That's that's the other thing. Like getting crate motors now and they've had a lot of part issues since COVID. Right. You know, you have a good piece because it was a pre COVID engine. But like I know that and man, oh man, like some of the new ones are yeah, hard on lifters. I love that motor. Like I, I keep saying, like I joke with Eric about letting me put his motor in it, but I don't know if I'd want any more power on our track, especially with me not knowing how to drive it anyway. Oh, so last year my engine on the dyno was six hundred and thirty-three horse, and and he told me what. John told me what power range he or what RPM range he wanted me to run it. And the night we won our feature at Clearfield, I was lazy. I was lazy because I have four nine inch, not a quick change, and I didn't want to change gears. So we just came with what I had. And it was in my mind, it wasn't enough gear. I'm like, I'm like, we're gonna get our ass handed to us, blah, 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 blah. And that thing would just lug and pull. I turned, I turned a thousand. 1,200 less RPMs than he wanted me to. And he was there. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, come check this out. you got to see this. And he's like, and I was just being a total pain in his ass. And he's like, what? So he comes over. I'm like, here, watch this. And I flipped the tack and showed him the tail. And he goes, why would you do that? I said, it pulled like a freight train. I don't give a shit what it turned. <laughs> uh, when I'm pulled, I have my chip out in that, mm -hmm. which – you know, with 604, you probably don't want to do. Right. Um, yeah, you're up on the top side of where those springs and lifters want to be. Uh, well, the one day I parked it, and I, either my tax wrong or I was spinning tire because I was at 8,100 oh, RPM. <laughs> the fact that that parts of that engine isn't in low Earth orbit yeah, right the, now. The, you're, you've got a say, really good one if it's still there. <laughs> you're lucky you're not digging connecting rods out of the clay. Ugh, heads just up there with on a SpaceX mission. Of course, uh, we'll go back to John Conklin. Uh, we don't need uh, chips. Just let them valves float. 
It's <laughs> exactly what they told me. But this this motor I have, I've only only thing I've done is uh, valve springs. That's good. And, That's fantastic. And that was after three years plus on the existing valve springs. There's people that do them every race. It, it probably wouldn't. It probably wouldn't hurt for you to call him and say, "Hey, I have a six oh four. What will you charge me to rebuild it?" I mean, because I got a guy that makes nice stickers for cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, we've mentioned your name in this podcast like five times. Uh, yeah, I'd like to. Um, yeah, he he's fantastic. Um, his time frame, like he's so busy that you know sometimes getting stuff from him, people people jump ship and go elsewhere because his time frame takes a bit. Um, the best thing probably to do would be to call him and pre-order. <clears throat> pre-order. Yeah, oh, that's and that's what I would do. If, if when I'm figuring out what I'm doing next, year, I don't know if I'm running next year. Yeah. Um, once I figure it out, and if I'm not, that's even better. So you can just sit there be a project for him whenever um that car's ran second place at hidden valley yeah um with a good driver behind it you'll get it so the biggest thing at hidden valley is you have to learn to slow down to go faster because i watched you at practice well i was and and like you say i'm like well that ain't gonna work In, pra- on pra- in practice, when we went right back to scale, so everything was yeah. different than what I've known. For. Yeah. It, you know, like it's so hard because you're in the car and you're like, I, I should be way more throttle than this. You know what I mean? And and you're you're driving into the corner and you're like, oh, you set it down. But when you set a car down and you let the car set on the nose and it starts to rotate. Now you can do whatever you need to with a car. You know what I mean? If you, That's what I'm trying to get through to like to Noah because Noah overdrives the corner so bad. If you let the car get down on the nose and you put the weight on the wheels, now you can steer the car where you need the car to steer. And then you can pick the gas back up and do what you need to do with the car. Um, it took me forever to learn that. Forever. And, and I, chased, I chased all kinds of stuff until, until I got... The car before this this car that I have, uh, Bob Connor gave me a bunch bunch of help in doing the front end and stuff, and it was like, this is how a race car is supposed to feel. Um, yeah, I speak of sailing it off. I tried to pass on the outside mm. one and two, and oh I did I didn't think I was too far up. Yeah, but I was definitely. Oh, yeah, that's why the rear end's bent. Yeah. I mean, that's a brand-new bumper. The other one's pancaked. Split the fuel cell, bent the rear oh. chassis, part of the chassis. Um, so in accidents like that is where guys get to the point where they're like, this sucks, I don't want to do this. I know a guy right now selling out his whole operation, and he's raced for years, and and I just – I don't know if he's ever had good help. Um, sometimes it's it's really hard to, like, swallow your pride and go – is it me? Do you well, know what I mean? That's what I did. I said, I go, oh, I thought I could make it stick a little higher. I wasn't too high. And Eric looks at me and goes, how many times I tell you not to do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, so we look at the car. He goes, buddy, that's thousands of dollars in damage. Yeah. This isn't a body panel now. Yeah. Um, we were able to bend the frame back to reasonably straight and stuff and fix yeah. everything up. It didn't end up being, luckily, thousands of dollars. But I thought I was done. Oh, I, I was done. I... So I had a universal joint break going down the backstretch at Hummingbird. It broke the front universal joint. 
So the drive shaft folded up in the car and locked the back tires up. When it locked the back tires up, another car hit me and turned me left. And then I got blasted. And I don't, I've got a 20 minute window, man, from that wreck where I don't remember anything. Yeah. John Stratoff said, he's like, Animal, you could have heard a pin drop. He said, that was like one of the hardest hits I've ever seen in my life. Emery Reinhardt ended up with broken ribs. You know, they flew me out, and he, he kept saying he was fine. Monday morning, he was at work, and he couldn't breathe because he had freaking broken ribs. Well, when I, when I backed in there, I mean, it was a hard hit. Did oh, you yeah. see it? Did you see me hit? And I thought... You just know. It was... I was on, on the brakes. Everybody's like, you should have hit the brakes. I was standing on them binders. Yeah. Yeah. The car just, I, I sailed it in there. There's nothing up there. I was on marbles. Yeah. Until Once I the they're ground. sliding. Yeah. Once they break they're traction, sliding. it's over. And, and I hit. And I, first off, I immediately smelled fuel. Yeah. So I started freaking out. So I'm on buckling, thinking I got to get out of this car. Um, and the people came up, said, we're fine. You're fine. I'm like, okay. So I pull down in the pits. I go, I've backed into that wall before. Yeah. Not that. Not high. like that. Yeah. Um, it was a spin and just coasted back and tapped it. I did that up at Hummingbird. We're uh, coming out of four right where we come up onto the yeah. track. Right there. I mean, oh. just. That's what happens if you. Slid the ass end of the car right in. Hummingbird out <laughs> of three and four. Well, I get out and I look and I thought my bumper fell off because of how crushed it was. Still on the car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh it, it was it was pancaked. Um, I'll show you some pictures here in a little bit. Um, look in the fuel cells split, and there were where this these lower these bars lower right yeah. where they're connected is completely split down. No shit. Chassis bent down. I go. First thing I do is call Swartz. Hey, I'll be out Monday. I need your jig. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't end up taking it out. We ended up bending it here. Oh, that's um, cool. I sent pictures out to Audie Swartz. He's a great guy. We're going to get him on here soon. That'd be um, awesome. Um, but he, he said, you know, it's behind all the geometry. They're made to break there. Right. You can finish your season. That's cool. And I'm like, thank God. Yeah, so that's, I, that's really cool. Overnighted that bumper, got it on. Um, Would have been up there swapping all your parts in my spare chassis. <laughs> Oh, we've we've looked at some. What lasers. are you running? You running a rocket? I'm running a laser. Oh, is it a laser? Yeah, I run a Bernheisel car. Lasers, um, but like I said, I'm married to sports. I don't know if it's just a, a pride thing and a, a being my first car thing. This thing, when it, I need to drive another car sometime, just because yeah. when this thing's hooked up, I mean, I'm I'm driving like this. I have my arm up on. Yep. The, and I'm just. It's 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 driving itself. I'm right here all the time. You're you're freaking. I can tell you're a race car driver because you go like this. Thumbs, thumbs up, out. thumbs up, and thumbs out. I've watched way too many YouTube videos. Because if you go like this, you're gonna break them. I've watched. I just saw yes, a YouTube sir. video of a girl that she was doing a demo derby and had her hand like this on the inside. My kids saw it, and her, her you wrist see just her goes, wrist break. Yeah, her wrist goes this way. Yeah, I'm, they're She's like, here, watch this. I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> I took my dad's modified out uh-huh. when we put it back together for the first time. We took it up, and they let us run the track. And uh, my dad's like, get in it. And I got in it, and I'm telling you, this thing has a 1970s Peterbilt big trucker steering wheel in it. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to tell you right now. He said, you lose your arm down in there. He said, it's going to break it. Yep. Yep. Your hand falls in, and they the wheel's set like this. Like, yep. you set like a truck. Yeah, I've watched 
well, when I watched Bristol the first time they took the cars to Bristol on dirt, yeah. a lot of people were putting the, the plexiglass over their yep. steering wheels cause, so they didn't even accidentally do it. Gary Little was the first one I ever seen with one of those. I think it was a street stock, and it, he came in with it was a solid, solid aluminum wheel. And I'm like, they the are goofy that? looking. Yeah, and he goes, so I don't break my fucking fingers. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I could hear him saying that. Yeah, I, I could <laughs> exactly like that too. Yeah, I mean, I'm married to Swartz for now. I I can't say anything because that's all I ever drove was laser. You get that laser around there pretty well too. Yeah, I appreciate I, it, and I think yeah. that's the thing is like I've seen people put this around it. Other oh, people yeah. drive it. Uh, buddy, I I'm know t- that I I'm can do it. You, I somehow I need to hook you up with Jason Witherite because he ran Swartz for years, and he he's a freaking just a high side hammer. He'd have that thing up on the top screaming it. And and it would just go. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I've seen people do it second place with this car. Yeah, I'm in a good field, underpowered. I think if I can figure it out, it's going to be a good car. Yeah, um, I'm I'm a firm believer in handling will always beat horsepower. Right. Well, and I think that's what we're seeing right now as a whole is the shock package is what's winning races, not. Oh, yeah. Not so much motor or, or even tires. So how I build mine in a four by 10 garage yeah you know it's yeah there's nothing special in this thing when when i help when i helped rug he had a motor that was legal for out east and it was like it was an all steel 358 nine to one and i remember hurting the big motor and he's like we're gonna put this in and i'm like okay and he's like we'll be all right we'll be all right we go to the track and i can't remember what we were running in a big motor but he's like Get those 729 gears out. And you're like, the what? And he's like, oh, yeah. Yep, yeah, so we'd stuff a 729 gear in it. He'd just ring that thing. <laughs> my and, old man had them up in the 740s and the 50s. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It was a lot of fun back in the day. It, it really was, even before I had a car. Um, George Bailey and I are really good friends, and we talk about that all the time. It's like, you know, you're talking about all the guys. Like, we had so much fun. Traveling to races after after Sankey was done, we helped Trent Ogden for a while, and I mean, we would go to Dog Hollow because because he was just badass at Dog Hollow. So there'd be four or five of us that would go to Dog Hollow, and same deal, you know, just just a good time. And he'd go out there and run with him. And if something happened, of course you were fighting in the pits <laughs> or some <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, I, Trent, I, man, I am envious of you guys being able to be around it before you did it. Oh, it was, it, it, I think I was so far behind. I'm so far behind the eight ball, just not even understanding what my car is doing from a mechanical standpoint. Well, I, I said to my kids the other week, I said, I said, for as, as long as I've done this, I said, I, the one thing I can tell you that I'm probably better at than driving a car is watching a car, you know? Um, I watch, and I, I actually went to a class, and we talked about, like, diagnosing cars and stuff, and and so many guys fight the same issue week in and week out, and and everybody's like, it's loose off, it's loose off. How'd it enter? You know, and they're like, well, it enters good, and I went to this Bob Harris class. He holds a steering wheel up for this guy, and he's like, how far do you turn it on entry? So 
he's turning and he's turning and turning. Finally, the guy goes, yeah, right about there. And he goes, he said, yeah, it enters good. He said, because it's locked down. He said, it'll drive into the corner straight. He said, but it's always going to be loose off the corner because you're too tight in. I think that's part of my issue. And we've talked about this, Justin and I, is I do not enter with my brake. Okay. Um, I do. I, I can't. Why? I just can't figure it out. So instead of figuring it out, I'm just turning down in. Well, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm using the brake, but I'm hitting my mark where I start to turn down. Mm-hmm. I turn down to where I start to feel the car moving. Mm-hmm. And then I stab the brake. Yeah, you're probably tightening the car up with a brake pedal. And I'm really loose off. Yeah, because like you just said. Yeah, because you've upset. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as, as soon as you... That was my problem for years. I would snap a car. Go down the corner, whoop, and then stab the brake to turn the car sideways. And as soon as you do that, you brake traction on the rear wheels, and now the car upsets, and now you're loose off. So you start thinking, oh, the car entered well, so I need to tighten up and exit. So all you do is agitate the problem. Because I'm I'm doing it, and just listen to you guys talking about it, gears are turning. But I feel like I'm hooking. I'm setting, hooking. And, and then, then you're I braking. Spin. No, no, like I'm And we get to where he, we already talked about yeah. the car's already sliding. Yep. You've lost your traction, and then you're going to come back in the throttle. The car's lost its traction, and you're just spinning. Right. There, there's a moment in there where I feel like I'm hooked up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I get that. But it, it'll it be brief because, because it's already f- broke traction. So you'll feel that, what, which is usually the suspension moving, but the tires are already in motion free. Makes sense when you put it that way. And I, I've... I have a buddy of mine that he's he's got a really good car, really good piece, and and uh, I said, man, that thing's tight on entry, and I, from his help, I got no, it isn't. I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, that's that's the end of it because like like if they're insistent that it isn't, then it's back to like we were said earlier, you know, now now your ego's in the way, you know what I mean? No, it isn't. Okay, so. If I would want to drive this, this is just becoming an advice session for me. Mm-hmm. If I would want to continue to drive that way instead of using the brake, would I have to loosen it up on? I don't on Hidden Valley, or is it just not going to be possible? I, on Hidden Valley, you have to learn how to use a brake. And the thing about brake is, you can use rear brake or three wheel brake to rotate a car, but if you use too much rear, it's going to shear the rear end. Yeah, I'm, I'm three wheel fifty fifty. Um, three wheel make you will make you rotate. You know what I mean? What I used to watch George do was start a race with all rear. If he started in the back, he'd start a race with all rear because if you use enough rear brake, you can actually shut a motor off. But the car will go because it'll when you hit the when you hit the brake pedal, lock the back tires up, and it slams the nose of the car down, sticks the front end. Yes. So once George would get through traffic, he'd go to front brake, and now he can whoa. Now he can whoa the car down on the nose with the brake and turn the car wherever he wants to steer and drive the car. And when a track gets slick, like I, I go to front brake so I can I can put more traction on the front wheels, and then I then you're pedaling the car. All 
All right, so we're going to get ready to start wrapping up this episode and talk about what's going on this weekend at our tracks. This weekend at Hidden Valley, the Modified Mafia Tour will come in with a blockbuster event paying $2,500 to win. Four cylinders will compete for 1000 based on 30 cars. Uh, if there's more than 36 cars, you guys will get a B main for 250 to win. Uh, the regular 358 class, pure stocks, four cylinders, and our 600 micros will be there. I'll inter interject something there. Um, Fuzzy Fields was talking to Dan, and if they can get at least five Penn Ohio Pro Stocks, they'll run Penn Ohio Pro Stocks this weekend as well. Well, if you hear that now, because I'm going to try to have this out tomorrow, Thursday. Yeah. Get your car out there. Um, and we're doing spectator races. Um, yeah. For those of you who are into that kind of thing. Um, capping off Hidden Valley, we have our points leaders for the first time in the podcast listed here. Our semi-late point leader is Gary Little. Modifieds, Jimmy Holden. Pure stock slash pro stocks, whatever we're calling them, um, is John Eckenrod. Luke Hoffner's leading the four cylinders, and there's no date on the website for our 600s or 270s. This weekend at Hummingbird, the other track that we're starting to cover, they're off. Um, so that Jim's going to be. We're actually going to watch our sun race. I say you'll be up with us. Uh, Noah, Noah is racing what they call A Works. Okay. So they race through the woods. So Noah's racing four wheelers, and then Josh decided he's coming up to Hidden Valley. He's coming to Hidden Valley. So Pure Stock will be at Hidden Valley. Um, but the bird points are as follows, according to Speed Hive: is the Economods is Nate Fleck, Paul Cotts leading the semi-lates, Nick Lafredo's leaving your super lates. That's backwards. Is that backwards? Paul Cott would be supers. Paul, Paul Cott would be supers. Okay, well. My lapse is wrong, or I'm wrong. Who knows? <laughs> There's a blunder for you. Put it in the uh, montage. Fuzzy Fields is leading the Pro Stocks. Dustin Challingsworth, Chal Challingsworth is leading the Pure Stocks. And Camden France, your four-cylinder leader. 13 years old, I believe. 13 years old. The, the young man can wheel a car. Um, we're trying to ramp this up. Obviously, since the last podcast came out, Thunder Mountain is no longer running, so we don't have any further input on them. Um, whenever we get a factual-based story, we'll, uh, we'll get to that. Um, until then, everything's hearsay, and we don't want to put that out on the airwaves. Um, that concludes everything I have in my script. Uh, we got off topic for at least an hour and a half. <laughs> so it's a good episode. That's how I want them to run. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Jim, do you have anything you want to add, throw uh, in, thank, say? Uh, I just want to thank you guys for having me. Um, we, we talked here a couple weeks about trying to get this started, and I knew it would turn into a race car BS session, which is, I'm all about that. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Um, uh, any sponsors you want to thank? Oh, man. We've, we've won twice this year, and I usually have Josh standing off the corner saying, uh, don't forget this one, Dad. Don't forget that one. Um, but I want to thank John Conklin, CRE Racing Engines, uh, J.R. Turner, JNN Trucking, JNN Turner Trucking, uh, Russ Clark. He has Keystone Rail Recovery, um, Milt Teats, MT Transport. Uh, who am I forgetting? It's awful. Getting old. Um, oh, I can't forget John Flinner. Um, John Flinner is my idol in the decal world, and he just 
out of the blue reached out to me one day. He's like, Hey, I want to give you a hand on your car. And, and he's just sent us money through PayPal. So it was, that for me is like the icing on the cake because I have idolized this guy's work for years. And that's the, the large decal on the front of your on car. Now? Of yeah. Car. Yep. Um, Randy towing, uh, Pellis towing, um, and Richard's construction. And let's not forget to shout out your own business. Uh, Animal Graphics and Signs is, is my business. Uh, yeah. It's it's the biggest sponsor on the car. Yeah, right, right. right. <laughs> I think actually we sponsor your car. Well, yeah, a little bit, little bit of everyone. So, so thanks to all our customers for, for allowing us to race. Um, Justin, you got anything you want to sign off with? Uh, I, I don't believe. Uh, till, uh, till next time. Till next Good time. Good luck racing. If you hear this and you want to support the podcast, um, there's a PayPal link on the Facebook. There are T-shirts on ConnorManRacing.com for the Slideways podcast. Um, and if you have any other suggestions for stuff you'd like to hear, people you want on here, or if you want to call in next time we have a show, let us know. We'll get you hooked up. Until then, see you next time.